Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? Comics Podcast for the Savage Critics website. This is episode 70, and Graham McMillan and I continue to experiment with the done-in-one format, giving you a two-and-a-half-hour mega-podcast. In it, we talk about Getting Hacked, Dreams About Comics, Brubaker and Phillips Fatale, The Elseworlds 80-page giant, Chuck Dixon's G.I. Joe comic for IDW, and SEAL Team 6, Defenders number 2, Action Comics number 5, Uncanny X-Men number 4, New Teen Titans, Downton Abbey, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, Avengers Annual, Freak Angels, Mudman, Witch Doctor, The Resuscitation, and believe me when I say this, much, much more. We hope you enjoy it, and as always, thanks for listening. Jeff, Lester... Hello and welcome. Wow. It's like you're actually in the room with me talking on a telephone. It is extraordinary. <laughs> what does that mean? I'm in the room with you talking on a telephone. I'm talking to someone else? Yeah, basically. Like, I'm actually there and I'm talking. To, it's, I, I don't, it's, it's somewhat I don't impersonal. know how I feel about that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, by the way, before we go any further with this, you did get my direct message, right? You do know that your email's been hacked and that it's sending out... Like, yeah, uh, I, I, I didn't get your direct message, but I do know my email's been hacked. Okay, great. Excellent. I'm looking right now. Yes, there you go. Yes, I know my email's been hacked. Yes, I know that because um, I woke up this morning to lots of mess emails from people responding to the spam email. People, yeah. never do that. <laughs> never, ever do that. Here's a hint. I would never send you an email with the subject line, re one. Yes. Or re two. Never. Just delete it. Actually, the thing. Anyone. That... Oh, sorry. Mark, sorry. No, 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 no. Please go. Because there's actually an even better tip, I think, to that. Because, like, just the fact that you sent. Uh, just that it said, please pay attention to it with an exclamation point. You know what I mean? Like that's you would never say that in your life, really, honestly. You could be you could be begging for your own life and I doubt you would use an exclamation point. So, in an email. so the best part is I don't know what the link is to. Okay? Oh, yeah, Cuz right. it, it, for for everyone who who you know has no idea what we're talking about, someone spa, uh, spammed or broke into or hacked whatever my email account, my fanboy rampage email account. So it's actually an old email account. Um and sent out a bunch of messages interestingly enough not to all of the contacts mm. like it's only gone out to like half my address book interesting because the one I got was uh, just the J's so I just sort of assumed yeah no because they're, they're all in my sent mail mm-hmm. so I can actually just look at my sent mail and it's gone out to like maybe there's like uh, let's see what, there's six emails each one's gone out to like five people mm-hmm um, but they're not a. They're not all the same email, and b. It's not everyone in my address book. Really weirdly. Hmm. Um. Anyway, so it's it's uh you know, you must pay attention to this exclamation mark with a link, and the link is quite clearly like you know do not click on this link. It's going to be insane. The yeah. best response was from Matt Brady, formerly of Newsarama. Yes. <laughs> whose entire response was Graham? Maybe Rich Johnson needs the stuff, but I certainly don't. <laughs> <laughs> I love That's that. That was like really the one funny. thing to make up for the fact that someone just spams it. So yeah, I've already changed the password. I'm thinking about just getting rid of the email. I mean, I never. I, it's the email I use when I have to sign up for something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like it's the email I use that that is meaningless. Yeah, yeah it's your. Uh, and I'm thinking, of just, I'm thinking of just like closing it down because it's been hacked, and this isn't the first time it's been hacked. That's right. It happened like a year or two ago, I think. Right. 
I have more recently than that. I think you just weren't in oh, that. Did it? that oh, hey, of, I wasn't in that loop. How lovely. Yeah, no, it, it's 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 been hacked. I want to say like two or three times in the last two years, mm-hmm. um, and I keep on changing the email. So you know, there's that. But like, I'm just thinking of just closing it down. as it is this time. I actually stripped everything. I took everyone out of the contacts. Right. In case it is going through my address book. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I kind of got the feeling that it is, actually. Yeah, it's weird. Like, looking at the sense, they're not... Like, at first I thought it was just broken down by alphabet. Like, the first email went through, like, A through B. The second email, three... And it's not. <laughs> like, well, the thing... Right. Uh, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, for me, what's weird is, like, I'm the only recipient on this email who's... Um, Everyone else's, it starts with the letter J, but my yeah, but email address doesn't. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so. You are Jeff. So you, I think you you were saved in there, Jeff Lesser. So that's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, the other thing is funny, but this is the other reason I know that I was uh, hacked and spam people was the number of bounce backs I got. Because mm-hmm. like I said, it's an old email account and a lot of, a lot of people don't have their email anymore, that email right. anymore. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think this has happened because I accidentally opened an email from B. Clay Moore, who was hacked last week. Oh. Uh, I did the whole, like, you read a real email and then you hit previous, thinking you're going to, and it goes the other direction. Um, yeah, that happens to me a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I did that. And so it might have been that. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was a lovely start to the day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I was like, oh, Graham will be in a great mood when I talk to him now. But, uh, Greg, but I uh, Graham, is, Graham is just exhausted. I I had one of those nights where you wake up at like 2.30 and then you go back to sleep and then you wake up at 3.30 and then you go back to sleep and then you wake up at 4.30. I, I did that up until like 6.30 and I was like, uh, screw it, I'm just going to start work. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah, those those are like nightmares. We I slept all the way through and I had a weirdly comics-related dream just before waking, in fact. But... Um, but when the alarm went off, I was like, "Oh my god!" Like I was convinced it was like four in the morning. Can, can, can you remember it? Wrong. The dream. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Actually, it's kind of interesting to me. Is is that this dream is the first time I think that where I've ever had a comic book related dream, where you know, for the majority of my life, I would say dreams that are related to comic books. Well, there's, there's a couple of different ones, but usually, like, the one that would hold fast the most would be um, I'm in a comic store that I've never been to, or I'm in, like, Comics Experience, and they've got new stock, and I'm digging through the new books, and I'm seeing comic book covers, you know, that my brain is making up, and inevitably it's like, oh, I want this issue, or I want that issue, or blah, 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 blah. Um, And that's like a real constant dream. Once I started working retail at Comics Experience, I ended up having like weird work-related dreams, like lots of dreams where I would show up and I'm late, you know, and Hibbs is like moving the store around and, you know, just typical work stress stuff. But this is the first time, I think, where I ever had a dream where part of what was going on in the dream is is that um, people are actually sending me comics like over email or through torrents that I've never seen before. So at one point in the dream, David Brothers is like sending me all these old issues of Amazing Spider-Man, and I'm looking at the covers, going, "This is amazing! I really don't know how he finds this <laughs> I've stuff. Never I've got to thank that. him." Exactly. Like, oh my god, I had no idea. Um, 
so there was that, and then there was just sort of a weird dream of like comic people in my house, like in my apartment, and I don't quite remember who honestly, but I do remember just that weird sense of like um it must have been somebody that I was reading on Twitter before I went to bed because it's really that weird feeling of like the cognitive dissonance of like I don't even know this well I follow this person on Twitter but I don't really know them know them you know what I mean yeah why, why are they in my house yeah why are they in my house it makes no sense that they're actually like reading a comic book while like sitting sitting on my couch with their feet up you know okay the, here's two things that are really weird about that one I used to have dreams often where I would be not in a comic book store but in another store and they would have comic books for sale and it was comic books I'd never heard of but really wanted to read mm-hmm. I, I, I had, I've had that dream a lot and it would be like mm-hmm. it would be like a random store like we'd be go- like Kate and I would be going into whatever like Ikea <laughs> like and, a, oh really wow and in, in a corner there would be a pile of comic books and I'd be like mm-hmm. oh I'm gonna see what's there and it would be like things I'd never heard of that were awesome or like things I'd loved and they'd done extra issues that I didn't know about right you know it was right. really cool for like oh my god Grant Morrison did another hundred issues of Doom Patrol right this right That's, I know isn't that, and you're just so happy you're like oh my god but this is al- great always always in these dreams I would not be able to buy it at that moment and I'd have to go and get money or something and come back and when I come back they wouldn't be there anymore Always. God. Oh my God. That's a terrible, terrible twist on the dream. I usually wake up like in media comic horde, you know, uh, just like in <laughs> process of like going through this stuff. In fact, there's also a, uh, in the town where I grew up, there was like a small used bookstore and they had a little section for comics. And that is like when it's not a new comic store, like more often than not in my, in my dreams, I'm in that used bookstore digging through the little cardboard box where they kept all the comics. I, I, um, I totally know what you mean about that because I that was me as well. There was a, a book called a store called Westwards in the mm-hmm. town I grew up in that had I, I've told you this before that had one day like someone's entire comic collection yeah, disappear. Just amazing. And it's like all this awesome 1970s Marvel stuff. Um, but also in Glasgow there were at least two bookstores where they would just have like I mean they'd be shitty paperback bookstores. They'd be terrible, terrible, terrible bookstores. But they'd yeah. always have like maybe seven massive piles of comics completely unsorted and they'd be like just you know you can have ten for a pound. Yeah, right. Like, exactly. That, that's what we call like pretty much at least half of Dick Dillon's run on Justice League. Oh man, from those things because it just like it just be there. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Um, which no, is but, just but the, the other comic dream. I, did I tell you last week my Brian Hibbs comics experience dream? No. Oh, this is the greatest dream ever. So I have a dream where Kate and I are visiting San Francisco and we decide we're going to go uh, to Comic Experience because for some reason, I think we'd arranged to meet you and Edie there. Anyway, we get there and it turns out the Comic Experience is undergoing renovation because in my dream, Comic Experience has always been a comic store and restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> And Hibs decided that he's going to redo the comic store portion of it, so only the bar is open. So the dream is you, me, Edie, Kate, uh, David Brothers is there, I want to say Lauren Davis is there as well, mm-hmm. sitting at the bar 
while Brian comes out and takes her order and then apologizes because he has to move some things around and then literally moves some things around like it's a stage set so walls just get wheeled back oh my god this is like the best dream ever this is the best <laughs> dream ever it, but it I'll was, be honest it, but the best part was like the food never arrived and it, <laughs> was, it was Brian in a bad mood and so oh, he was damn like, it so, no, but he was pretty much like, you know, what do you want? And we'd be like, oh, we'll have this, this, this. And he's like, fine. And like, <laughs> oh, so great. See, the big draw to the dream for me is, is the idea that Hibbs would actually be like, can I take your order and be sort of pleasant in that professional way about it? Just no, the no, no, best. No, because this, 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 no, I mean, we've all seen Brian in a bad mood, right? This, this, was, yes. this was Brian in a really shitty mood. Like, I think, I still remember it was because the renovations weren't going well. Like, it wasn't just he was, for no reason, in a bad mood. Like, there was, there was right. some sort of like, you know, it's really good to see you again, man, blah, blah, blah. And then he'd just be like, oh, but this is kicking my ass. And he was just in such a bad mood because of that. It was so great. I mean, I can still remember the restaurant was like an art deco comics experience. Oh, man. And, then, like, oh, and he man. was just literally wheeling walls away to try and look at where the story would go. It was this crazy, crazy dream. That That is a crazy dream. It's also impressive to me that we're apparently both set obsessed with renovating comics experience, at least in a you know, subconscious way. Sorry, Hibs. <laughs> and, and you haven't, I forget, did you, because you haven't been down since he since he's put in new shelves and stuff, right? No, no, I haven't been, I've been to San Francisco for more than a year. Yeah, I know. That's why I was like, oh, right. It's been, you should check it out because the store, of course, actually looks quite different now and is very lovely. I mean, you know, I thought it was always functional. Now it's actually really, it's very nice looking. The, the I, I'm new shelves really that he got is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm really forcing it when I say it, but uh, yeah, it was, it was just the oddest and funniest stream. <laughs> I, I just that, I, I remember like even in the dream I was like this is just ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> there's something really delightful about that Graham I have to say uh, okay well should we talk comics yeah, that actually yeah. exist uh, in reality hi, or? we should probably hi, talk listeners. comics that actually exist um, yeah I actually got to the store yesterday and I, I bought some things <laughs> Hooray! Really, this is great. It's really unusual, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. I'm like, I don't really want to like say yes, but yeah, it's uh, it's, it's, it's it is. It is actually <laughs> unusual that I, I actually managed to do that. So you know, good job, me. Yes. Uh, okay. Question one: Did you read Fatal, the new Brubaker yes. Phillips book? I what did. What did you think? I. You sound, you sound like you're as weirdly undecided as I am. I really am weirdly undecided about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's kind of a weird. Um, God, I don't. I don't know. You know, it's one of the. I. I. I finished it, and I was sort of like, it's funny. I really. Did, did you think it was half a book? I did, which is weird because there's a ton. Like the page count is up there. You know. Yeah, it's but, got, but something at the end of it. We were just like, huh. I honestly feel like I've read half of issue one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I don't know if that's the pacing with the prologue. I mean, if you look at the pages, it's set up on, you know, really close to a three by three grid. So you're getting a lot of content in it. It's, I don't know how many pages it is, but it's a ton. But you know what it is? There's a weird emotional connection 
that is missing that I've never encountered in any of the in any of his other pieces you know and it could be because most of the things that he's done in criminal or incognito or even with sleeper or whatever is very much kind of you drill down you, you hit one character and you stick with him you know what I mean and this yeah, one, this is mm-hmm. so switchable it, it, mm-hmm. and the, the time jumps I think don't help it I don't think because so because I, I, I felt like I was getting into the prologue and then he's like and then we're going to the past and then we're jumping yes. to another character and it's kind of like oh just let me stick with one just let me stick with one so I can I can feel connected to them yeah yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was it was a very odd little jump. And there's also something where um you know the the coloring on it is is lovely, but I also had that moment of like they should have used a slightly different palette for the prologue than than for chapter 1 or something cuz it oh, just felt I I thought the prologue was was by far the most successful part of the book and I'm I'm including the coloring in that. Oh well, see, I, my problem is is I agree. I think the prologue was successful. My problem is is that there wasn't enough, there wasn't enough of a differenti- differentiation between the prologue and chapter one. You know, it's it's like the art is really similar. The coloring felt super similar to me. It just felt, it felt like the same stuff but different. And there was a way in which it didn't work for me. I, you know, it wasn't that it didn't work. It just, it just didn't give me that weird feeling of transition. Like they could have done done it in three ways. They could have had Brubaker change up his narrative voice a bit. They could have had Phillips change up his art a little bit, or they could have had the coloring change up. But it was this weird, like it felt like a homogenous mass, but it's not supposed to. And and I just didn't feel emotionally connected to it by the end of it, really. So. There, there's, there's, Phillips is doing some interesting things, though. I think when you get to chapter one, mm-hmm. there's something... I, I don't know if I'm entirely imagining this. It feels like there's something different in his line work about Josephine. Mm. Especially on the first page. It feels like mm-hmm. his inking is slightly different, and he's going for a, a more... Uh, maybe not a more lush... Uh, line or, or something but yeah. and it's not something that carries through I mean even by the time you got to like maybe the third page of chapter three the, that's changed but the, definitely I mean the the let's see third panel for her in it the panel where she where she's blowing smoke and it says maybe he'd realized how much trouble he was letting himself in for and hopped a train there's something about that panel in particular that doesn't feel like Philip's normal style mm. and I remember getting to that panel and thinking oh he's actually trying to channel the art style of that period and that's really interesting and then like you know you get two panels later and the reporter appears and it's it's John Phillips drawing do you know what I mean right yeah I, I, yeah, felt, well, I felt somewhat disappointed about that actually if you flip back to basically page two the second page of the prologue where where she Josephine appears and you've got those three mm-hmm. panels she looks different enough in each of those three panels I think to, for me that um, which I which I grokked, I guess that it was actually really hard for me to be like. I was like, well, is Phillips like drawing from different references? Is he supposed to make her look like a different woman from panel to panel, or am I just like not especially 
good at this stuff because you know well, her... I, I, I think there's a problem of Phillips is being really inconsistent and mm-hmm. I think sometimes Phillips, Phillips can be really inconsistent I think mm-hmm. there's a problem with his art where very often his lead males always look exactly the same in whatever right. book they're appearing in yeah. and I think that's a real problem here because I think that the leads in the prologue and leads in chapter one look far too similar yeah yeah. To the point where I like, if you're not paying attention, you'll be like, oh, he's got a different hairstyle, but maybe this is a flashback." Right. You know what I mean, exactly. to, this yeah. is a different character altogether. Um, right. But I mean, if you if you look at how she appears in when she's talking to the reporter, or how she appears when she's talking to the lead in the prologue, and then there's a part where the reporter wakes up in bed and he can't stop thinking about her and there's like yes. a ghost image of her as he gets up that's an yes. entirely different woman exactly <laughs> like, the ghost image of her is an entirely different woman and I think exactly. it, I honestly think it's just like I think he just slipped up I mean we'll find yeah. out more I mean she's quite clearly not I don't want to say not human but there's quite clearly something going on with her and she's quite yes. clearly got some sort of weird femme fatale power so it might be that she does change. It might be that uh, she, we're supposed to be – we're not supposed to be necessarily working that out, but we're supposed to be aware that she's changing. But what, yeah. definitely when I read it, I thought this is just – this is John Phillips yeah. not being entirely consistent. Yeah, this is a cock-up. That's what it felt like to me. And and part of it is I remember some of the stuff I, – I think – as you, you may recall, I had some problems with the very last chapter of Last of the Innocent in in some cases because of the art and because of his art with the female fig- the drawing of the female figure that mm-hmm. I was unfortunately hyper aware of it here. And so I really was like, wait, this doesn't look like the same person. Maybe it's not supposed to. And then again, you're switching people. Like it's a whole – I'm really glad that, that Brubaker and Phillips are doing something that is – sort of trying to discreetly expand their skill set um, but it's interesting to me that it just sort of reinforces kind of how uh, how sort of how r- rusty or undeveloped the chops are in this new area you know it was kind of like huh you know I- I'm sure the Brubaker was very much like because with the stuff in Captain America he's like you know I've been doing multiple narration in the Captain America books, you know, mm. and making... Which, which I think is much more successful than it is here. Yes, much more successful. I agree. And here it was... So I think I could see why he was like, oh yeah, we'll do this and we'll carry this off and it will take this, you know, and we'll have this big epic to it that will start in our you know very small grounded approach that we have. And instead it just felt like, it felt very wobbly footed, you know. Well, what really what's kind surprised. of... What's kind of weird is I feel that this series suffers from Brubaker and Phillips' past. I feel that if, for example, I mean, have you seen the preview pages of Winter Soldier? The the uh, Butch Guys pages. They're they're yes. online and there's some lovely artwork in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, in particular, there's a shot in one of the preview pages of the Black Widow, which I when I was reading Fatal, I was just like, if he had done this book. Mm-hmm. It would have read entirely differently, and I mm-hmm. think I would have been able to buy the idea that Josephine is a femme fatale more readily. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. Um, because as it is, I I feel like I'm projecting criminal onto this book, and I yeah. you know I I don't know if that's their failing 
for not differentiating enough my failing for bringing those preconceptions um but yeah i i, I read all of this book and couldn't get criminal out of my head mm-hmm. which is really interesting because when criminal started i couldn't get sleeper out of my head oh interesting i i, 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 was... I very much read criminal as like ah, it's sleeper with no superpowers um <laughs> at least for the first series right. and, and and so it's or the first arc i should say um and so it's interesting to get here and pretty much being like, yeah, it's, it's so it's it's like another criminal arc, right? You know, and and it's it's not. <laughs> I mean, it's it's really not. But I can't get that out of my head. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. I think there's also something where in in our brains, like there's a little bit of like you when Last of the Innocent ends. It very much ends sort of modern day, and then so with this book sort of picking starting in the modern day, there's there is a weird there's just all these weird continuities that I think our brains are just sort of trained to make, you know, especially when like you said, Sean Phillips draws great characters, but they look very much the same. It's very easy in a way to be like plug this into your memories of like five months ago and it feels very much like you said i i definitely get the criminal feel to it i just think uh i just think that yeah it was one of those things where i'm looking forward to how it rolls forward um there was some lovely work in it you know it's a really nice package for three dollars and fifty cents i just found myself being yeah a little on the underwhelmed side but on the other hand i was one of those people who was underwhelmed on the last criminal arc too so in the end what is is kind of funny for me about being underwhelmed about this because i was as well is that i feel guilty for being underwhelmed by it Right. Do you know what I mean? I, I kind of feel like, no, no, I, you know, I, I must be reading it wrong. I, I, can't <laughs> exactly. it, I don't know why I have that reaction, but I really do. Like, I feel like I've let Ed Brubaker down. I feel like I've let John Phillips down. I feel like I've let comics down. I genuinely do. I'm like, and I don't have that with any other book I write. Do you know what I mean? Like, if I didn't like a book, I don't like a book. But with this right. book... I was like, oh, oh, man. I mean, I read it like three times because I was like, no, there's got to be something more to it. Nope, this, this, this can't be my reaction to it. This is unacceptable. <laughs> right, exactly. Just keep reading it until you have the right reaction. Yeah, yeah. no, it's – yeah, no, I agree because it's, it's everything that you want to support. It's everything that we're saying that we want from the marketplace. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, so it's just kind of like I, I'll I'll pick up the next one. I'm – sure it i would like to think that it will get um a little more sure-footed as it goes on so you know i i've just i'm looking at the cover now and i just think i think i know why i found so, felt so underwhelmed by the first issue because the cover is so great well there is that i'm i've got the cover with the the crazy the gangster with the crazy monster oh head. you you've got the rare variant i've got the uh, really the, that was the, the only cover. cover that that was the only cover that was available in my store Oh my god, that's really funny. It's not that rare, but the, you know, Rich was saying that it seems to. It, be is it the variant? Okay, yeah, that's the only one that's available at Scalibur. <laughs> they don't have any other <laughs> cover. Um, no, I, I think I'm disappointed because I finished the first issue and I didn't have any idea what the book was about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I hadn't read, the, if I hadn't read the pre-release uh, interviews and stuff, I would have no idea what this book was about. And if it wasn't for the if it wasn't for the cover with the gangster with the monster head, I would right. not think this is a supernatural book right now. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that's yeah, they've got some problems with that, I think. Cuz cuz currently as it is, the way it's set up, it's just a potentially it could be just a potentially odd criminal arc, you know? Yes. So I think there is that idea of like, yeah, you don't necessarily know what it's about and there are these things, but it's not very explicit. And certainly I would think if you get the monster gangster head cover, it would just be like, what? You know? Like, I'm... Yeah, like, where, where's the monster gangster inside? Yeah, exactly. I was promised monster gangsters. Hello. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's probably going to read wonderfully in the collection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, that's, that sounds like a diss, but it's actually not. It's pr- like, I, I feel the sort of pacing mm-hmm. will read great in the collection because the prologue will act as a prologue. As yes. opposed to half the issue... And then you're like, what? Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And chapter one ending like in a really weird truncated cliffhanger fashion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, will will not be a big thing because chapter two will be just around the corner. Or I would not be surprised if chapter one continues next issue. I kind of half think so too. And then they're going to get chapter two halfway through that. But we will see. Maybe not. Um, You know. But yeah, the first issue was. uh, I wanted it to be better. I really did. And I again, I feel I feel bad for even saying that. Yes. I'm sort of the same way. That's why when you were like, let's talk about Fatal, I was like, oh, Graham, okay, fine. It's, it's the book of the week. It is the book of the week. Maybe not, it's, like, in terms of quality, but in terms of, like, it's the one everyone is talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Although, yes, I, I, I think there's a, there's there was a variety of interesting things from my visit, um, and not all of them were things that I picked up that, that came out this week, but yes. Oh, certainly. tell me, tell me, tell me. Well, you know, here's a weird segue. Uh, I ended up picking up because I sort of forgot that it had come out last week or the week before. I was not paying attention. The um, the Elseworlds 100-page spectacular that DC finally released. Oh, yeah, which is, actually, which is of course, a reprint of the Elseworlds 80-page spectacular. <laughs> it really? Exactly. It's, it's, I have to ask, is there other stuff in there to make up the page count? Uh, you know, it's a good. They do a great job of not because I haven't seen. I don't know what's what was in the original eighty page giant. So I, I told you my story about having the original eighty page giant, right? Yes, yes. Or but you should actually refresh me old memory because you've the, got the short, like a short copy version. Is I have no, I didn't get a review copy. I have the uh, pulped eighty page giant because um, it got released or a limited number got released in Britain. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it just actually went to Forbidden Planet in London mm-hmm. uh, at a point where I was visiting London and I bought it just thinking oh it's got Kyle Baker in it I like Kyle Baker not knowing that it had been popped or anything I had no yeah. idea and it was like a couple of months later I was like oh I've got this really fucking rare comic <laughs> <laughs> I just bought it because I was like I like Mark Wade. I like Ty Templeton I like Kyle Baker I've had can it be right exactly exactly um and it was, I have to say, I'm not all the way through it. There's some really great stuff in here. There's some really great stuff. In fact, I was yeah, going to jump say, from... There, there's a lot of really, really, really fun stuff in that. I mean, there's also some filler. But, like, uh, have you got to Tom Pyre's Kingdom Come parody in it? Uh, no, I don't think I have. Oh, is it's it? so great. It's so... It's honestly Tom Pyre being like, look, I know that Kingdom Come is great. However, it's so easy to take the piss out of. And so I'm going to do it. Dude, I wonder if that's actually in here. Hold on. Is it after the Superman Jr., Batman Jr.? Yeah, here we go. Scandal Gate? No, 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 no. No, it's Tom Pyre and Ariel Olivetti. 
and it's um it's El uh, Superman as old Elvis. Oh yeah 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 yeah. There we go. Um, yeah. Right. And it starts with, like the 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 biblical references, the biblical <laughs> quotations rather, and then it's like the Bible. <laughs> Yeah, the the Dark Knight of the Golden Kingdom. Um, yes. Right. It's right after that amazing set of just wonderful Silver Age Elseworld pages. First Which pages. are so great. <laughs> so good. But the other thing I wanted to say, and I thought this would be a kind of nice lead-in with Fatal, is there's that very weird Lovecraft pastiche that opens the book by D. Curtis Johnson and Aaron Lopresti. Yes. Yes. Uh, that is just odd. I mean, it does a great job of doing the the Lovecraft thing and an Elseworlds thing, just jammed at eight pages. But the idea that every, like, all of the Inhuman monsters are essentially the stretchable people from DC makes no... I'm still trying to figure out what the fuck that is supposed to be, you know? It's just, it's just disturbing. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it awesome. kind of is, actually. It is a really weirdly disturbing story. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, just odd. Uh, and you know what I actually really liked was the vigilantes in apartment three B, which <laughs> did you? I thought that was part of. I mean, it's fun, but it's filler. It really felt like filler. It's filler, but I actually enjoyed the because, um, of course, I remember being so inhumanly bored by the girls of apartment three G. I, I, do you, I guess you oh, never saw the date. No, I was going to say, if it's, if it's a parody, then I didn't get that, that it was a parody of something. Exactly. Yeah, it's a, it's a parody of a very specific, dull comic book soap opera strip, that, a comic strip that just ran in, in the San Francisco Chronicle when I was a kid forever. And nothing really happened. And I'm sure if I went back and looked at it, I want to say there was like great art by Stan Drake um in it maybe originally and then toward the end they were just probably using like photocopies of old catalog ads it was really dull and it what's funny is how much the vigilantes in apartment 3b like throw action in there but like the fact that it's got a scene of you know out of two pages like half of the story is them like showering and getting dressed for something and complaining about their boyfriends I'm like yeah if they really had done an accurate job it would have had one panel of excitement and 37 panels of that so <laughs> I, I kind of I quite liked it I was, I was like oh that's sort of cute you know and also it was kind of great reading Chuck Dixon where it wasn't like it's like reading uh, Seal Team 6 or whatever it was. That, yeah. That's so funny that you say that because I picked up Chuck Jackson's G.I. Joe this week. Oh, really? Uh, because it's, it's – you know I've been reading the Cobra spinoff book. Yes. So they've actually got a, a crossover starting in January like that actually goes between the th- three books. I was like, I'll pick it up to see what it is. Oh, the difference between the Cobra book and the G.I. Joe book is vast. Is it? Yeah, yes. I can. I can totally imagine. I can totally imagine because I, I, I bought that Seal Team Six book for the Kindle for like ninety nine cents or whatever, and I was like, I think this was a month ago. I was like, oh, I'll read this, and then I'll tell Graham, and I'll read the best parts of it, and we'll both laugh and laugh and laugh, and I don't know, like a third of the way through, I'm like, life is too short, you know? Yeah, there I actually is... said like, I I love Larry Hamish, G.I. Joe. I love my Costas Cobra series. Chuck Dixon's G.I. Joe, I think, is something I'm going to have to leave behind. <laughs> really? Wow. Well, so, just out of curiosity, why? Do, do, you, do you know why it didn't necessarily work for you? Um, it's, it tries to have its cake and eat it. 
Mm-hmm. So the, the, the plot setup now is they now have their new Cobra Commander, and the Cobra Command new Cobra Commander's like fuck this, like being underground conspiracy theory bullshit. We're just going to announce that we're a major world power. So it starts off with like you know, in Korea they're killing people and it's savage and gritty, realistic, and then the toy helicopters come in and shoot people. <laughs> And it's like, what? This, no, this, this is horrible. Um, and then it goes from that. And, but, I mean, it starts off with like three pages of, of of attempts at realism. Do you know what I mean? Like something that you can tell, or not you can tell, but it feels like Chuck Dixon read like Unknown Soldier. I was like, I love how this is actually dealing with real world politics. I'm going to do that. But then I'm going to bring in the fucking Cobra attack helicopters. Um, and then like it cuts to... G.I. Joe headquarters and the boss is like we're all facing budget cuts so you're going to have to operate out of this base and then they're all like okay breaker breaker and they talk like they all talk in each other's code names Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's just like oh no (laughs) no you can't you can't mix like attempts at real world drama and the fact that like you know they've all names like you know high top and whatever (laughs) it's it's funny because that mix is that mix is there in the Cobra book. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like the Cobra does not right. shy away from having characters called Major Blood, right? Um, but it doesn't draw attention to either. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's not like the characters go around and mean like, "Hello, Major Bloods. Hello, Cobra Commander. Look, it's the Baroness." <laughs> in a way that in a way that this book does. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like it'll make yeah. comments of it, but it'll also make comments of it in a very much like, "This is my code name." Right. Like, this is what people call me. It's not who I am. As opposed to Chuck Dixon, which is just like, hey, laser beam, why don't we go and meet? And while complaining about budget cuts in the defense. I know. You know it, it's, like, it's a hard thing no, to do well. It's spinning. a hard thing to do well, isn't it? I mean, I'm kind of impressed. Like, the thing that always whacked me out about Larry Hammond's G.I. Joe was how much verisimilitude he could pack in there without tipping the balance, you know? I, I oh, mean, but he also didn't take it... He took the ridiculous stuff not seriously, if that makes sense. Right. Like, he'd play it straight, but you could also tell that he's just like, this stuff is crazy whacked out bullshit. Right. Well, but I love the fact that he played it straight, of course. You know? And No, I no, but what I'm saying is, is I think there's a difference between not taking it seriously but playing it straight and trying to do what Chuck Dixon is doing, which is pretending that it's all very serious. Right. Well, yeah. Or or I just think he Dixon may not have a particularly nearly as good a sense of humor as Larry Hama did. Because he might be doing it at the same level, but you can't tell. I mean, definitely after reading Seal Team 6, like... Chuck Dixon does an amazing it's like I doubt that it's an imitation of a humorless right wing conspiracy novelist you know like he's just he, uh, there's <laughs> just chapters so fucking dull where it's like look at how much I've researched and like and then it's really weird like how much of the scenes that he has where it's like here's my high drama scene like you yeah, there's so many prologues and it's it starts off like you meet most of the characters during a dramatic swimming sequence which I mean on the one hand okay they're navy seals on the other hand it's like swimming really like that's your thing and of course they open the chapter where you know it starts off with like two of the navy seals like putting some 
poser in a bar in his place kind of thing. Like it just all smacks of like that. He's just got to stop smelling jock straps. Everything about Chuck Dixon Seal Team Six was like this is a guy who is trying way way too hard to show you like how real everything is. And there's just a dramatic drop in humor for some reason. Even when he thinks he's being funny, it's just like. Yeah, this isn't funny because you clearly have no sense of nuance, you know? Like, yeah, I, I guess I, I guess that's the same problem with this G.I. Joe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's just, yeah, you drop the nuance out of it, and then you're just like, wow, this is a depressing chore. So, ooh, that should be a segue into the next book. Do we have a depressing chore? Oh, what do you think of Defenders number two? <laughs> uh, talk, talking of depressing chores. <laughs> um, I I I thought that it kind of fell apart. I, I don't think I don't think issue one was the most together, but I think exactly. It's, I felt the same way. Like I was like, wow, this really makes sense. Like I'm nostalgic for issue one now. Like I'm like, and yeah, I didn't really the, like it's issue one that much at all. The really, pacing is all over the fucking place. I mean, it's it's one of the worst paced books that I think I've ever ever read. Yeah, I mean it, it. It just it just begins and it just ends, and stuff happens in between, and that's it. Um, yeah. yeah, I kind of thought I kind of thought it was a mess. I, I there was so much. It's not even so much that I didn't like about it, but just so much that I just found myself disappointed in. Um, that it really, yeah, it it was such a letdown after the first issue. Yeah, I I wouldn't say such because I really wasn't like, again, I was like, I'm not being dropped from a particularly great height here. But I was like, I was just, I was confounded by how bad some of the storytelling is, you know, like really that, that whole like sequence where they are trapped is was was so done they like i can't believe that he failed like you know superhero trap 101 you know what i mean oh, but, but for- i mean it's not just that i mean the fight sequence at the start is terrible oh, yeah. yeah the fight sequence i mean the fight sequence at the start is really 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 a mess yeah yeah i agree i mean that was one but that's also one where i'm like that's got to be on dodson i mean let's put it this way there's a whole bunch of stuff where I would say this team for guys who supposedly work together for a while it's amazing how out of sync they were and just how badly like neither of them are really doing a particularly good job of covering for the other but yeah that fight scene I was there going huh how many people are in this scene like how like are there just are there just like an infinite number of talkie-tonies until such time as there isn't or you know what I mean like but, and the answer is yes <laughs> yeah exactly I mean, the, the answer, the answer exactly is yes. yes and also they're really hard to fight and, until they're not until and they're then not. they are again yeah exactly right there's no weird and this is it's weird because that actually does strike me as a continuation of the shit that was going on uh, in Fear in Itself, Itself Fraction yeah where it's just like you know they're winning because we say they're winning now they're losing because we say they're losing and now they're winning no, because we say they're winning exactly and and yeah there's so much this just this happens because I say it happens that is not supported by anything else in the book like when they're trapped and Doctor Strange is like Namor's water is clearly driving him mad why why does right. he say that <laughs> there's, there's, he does nothing like Namor does nothing to make that yeah. seem a possibility yeah, and also, exactly. what was with Iron Fist and the, the mask that had bright lights? Yeah, 
Like, I, what, what was actually happening there? I don't understand. Yeah, why? Yeah. Why did She Hulk smashing something release everyone? Why did it oh. make their masks come off? Why did she right? Why did She Hulk have to slip out and smash that thing rather than turning around and smashing Namor's helmet off or you know Iron Fist's little doodah thing? They're right next to each other. Why can't he? Why couldn't she just break that? Why was there this whole like, oh, I can't get through these bars? Like it was, you know, it's like this weird like death trap. Everyone has done this. Is like such the old school superhero like, oh, we're trapped. Someone's got to use their powers usually by. You know, turning into their other self and slipping through, but there was none of the rest of the setup of, like you said, like what's Namor's helmet doing? What's Iron Fist's thing doing? Why can't she just reach over and crush the goggles off of Iron Fist's head? Like, why not? Why can't she break the little concrete stuff that they're right there? They're right next to each other. You know, it was really yeah, exactly. Why why didn't she take the gloves off of Doctor Strange mm-hmm. when they escaped? Yeah. If yeah. it's just concrete, and concrete, that will break if he punches someone. Why didn't she do it? Yeah, she just crumbles it apart. Neymar could have done it. They all could have, you know. It's it's odd. It was just, it was one of those, like, really weird, badly paced. And then, and then when it comes time to try and fix that stuff after the fact, you know, uh, if you're really doing it Marvel style, they, he, it was not, it was not fixed. You know, it just no, really was not fixed. Yeah, so... Yeah, it's. Mm, I'm just. It not. was. It was. It was kind of a shame. It really was. I. I enjoyed the first issue so much more than this. Um, and like I said, after reading Wolverine and the X Men last week, I really wish that Jason Aaron was doing this book. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, really, really wish that Jason Aaron was doing this book. And you know, he might end up doing this book the way that these <laughs> things go. Exactly. Um, That's just what I was thinking. Also, like again, the cliffhanger just isn't a cliffhanger. It just stopped. The book oh, just stopped. It's a it's a non hanger. It is such a it is such a. I mean, the whole it, it's really the whole thing is is just it's so badly spitballed. It really is badly spitballed. The whole thing feels like like you're like you're reading the proposal of somebody who's trying to break into the business. You know, it just really has all these weird amateur mistakes and oversights and just isn't cohesive. You know, like the the whole like the the, whatever it was, the black Hulk or whatever, where they finally came up with that term on. And I think they only use it on the recap page. You know, he like he is like the world's like worst plot MacGuffin. Like you show him like (laughs) he just just destroys stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's there's actually a lovely, lovely, lovely idea hidden in the narration there that I don't think is intentional. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is when Fraxi says, you won't find the name of the city, the name of your this country on any of your maps. And I love the idea implied by that, which I don't think is intentional, that mm-hmm. the Breaker of Worlds actually removes locations. Like, he actually literally breaks worlds. Oh, interesting. That he, if he is somewhere, he can just make that place not exist. Hmm. And I don't think, I don't think any of that is intentional. I think I entirely made that up after reading that line. But I was like, I like that idea more than anything else that's actually in this comic. Right? Because I actually wrote it as like, huh? You just really don't want to even think up a name for this, huh? Well, that's yeah, exactly. That's... You don't want to say, you know, it's, it's yeah, no, it, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. but I like my more charitable version. <laughs> Your more charitable version is really interesting, and it would also give a reason for the black hole to be there. And the whole thing yes. that it's not that oh. that he's not the real MacGuffin, that it's this convergence engine, and he's going there to punch a hole through the blabbity blab. I was like, this is not good. It was seriously not good. I had it's it's one of those like. You know, had bought the bought the book under my special Marvel dispensation, and I'm like, I'm not going to make it to the end of this arc. I think I'm good, just going to have to like, I'll give it one more issue, and chances are good I will probably drop it because this is, it's it's kind of sloppy. It's like I should really yeah, be. It's, it's just. Mm. Yeah. yeah. What did you think of these little um, captions at the bottom of the page this time? Uh, I liked them less uh, because there was. There was a lot of um, there was a lot of uh, bah, bah, the, uh, some of them were more legit, I suppose. Um, yes, I have to, the one that was not legit at all, the Werewolf by Night Nurse. I kind of wish that was legit. Yeah, exactly. Well, it seemed that's it. I kind of had that moment of like, um, you know, kind of like that. That's that's that was great. The you know the universe will break next page following or something like that. Um, I like some of that stuff more than that was a good ad or, you know, like... Oh, I, I, love, I love that was a good ad because its placement is really unfortunate. Yes, its placement is terrible, isn't it? It was kind of like... Because that was a good ad after the please vote for us in the People's Choice Awards. Like, that, <laughs> that's, that's not the one you should have done it for. That's really not the one you should have done it for. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So... But, but, so, I mean, some of it's just weird. The the universal break second page following, mm-hmm. and then later on the universal break in the next page. So it's like, has the universe broken twice? Is this a reference to something else? Like, right. I don't get it. Yeah. So I mean, you know I mean? Like, it really I, doesn't I, seem cohesive. So smart that it almost becomes meaningless. Yeah. Well, I think because the problem is, is it seems smart, but it doesn't really seem um, thematically unified. Like it seems really. It seems like really fun spitballing, you know, with like a little bit of like, yeah, we're mixing the legit stuff and the meta story stuff and the imaginary stuff and the, you know, me being Mr. Meta on here. But like, but when when you have story interrupted previous page, which is pretty funny, on the last page of your comic, you know, where you're supposed to be having your cliffhanger, it's... Yeah, it's 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 an unfortunate thing. Like, there's only you can only come off as so clever while you're in the process of shitting the bed. Unfortunately, um, I, I think Oscar <laughs> Wilde said that maybe, and as he, you know, it, it sounds like something he would say, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Except it has a Wildean uh, tone to it. It does. It does. <laughs> oh yeah, it's, yes. it's just it's it's a real shame. I I, I really I liked issue one. So much more than issue two. I thought that issue two was was just just shitting the bed. I, I I thought that it was really really really. It just seemed like a mistake. It was really sad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, let's see. Let's move on to our comic. Uh, action comic number five. Was that last week? Sure. Was this week. Yeah, that, that was, this, was week. Uh, this week. It was it was yeah. yesterday. Yeah. So yeah. there we go. Um, what do you think? I I liked a lot of it. I wish someone else had drawn it. 
Um, and I really liked the. I liked the way that the last page was like, this is not backstory. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I like the way the last page was like, you might have thought this was all throwaway backstory, but it turns out it's set up for something that's coming down way down the line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wish that revelation had been done with someone who had realized uh, human proportions are. <laughs> no, when you, when you see Superman and the Legion of Superheroes standing there, and Superman is just like something has gone on with his body, mm-hmm. that his legs are too short, and also seem to just like be built out of tree trunks. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, if there weren't knee pads, you wouldn't think he had knees. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's just, I mean, that's a horrible, horrible page at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's, there's also a lot of, Kubert does not support Morrison here, uh, but Morrison also throws a lot of shit out there and doesn't properly explain it. Hmm. Well, um, in terms of, usual complaint, yes. Yeah, but no, I guess in a different way than normal. Like, this isn't a, I'll come back to this later. Stuff like the idea that between panels on a page, the spaceship turns itself into crystal. It's really, really unclear. Oh, yeah, that one was actually, that was a pretty big mess in a way. The whole, like, hey, it's a spaceship, uh, now it's this weirdo crystal thing. And I was like, what the, who is the, what? And then, yeah, exactly. And then two pages later, they're like, oh, this is the Fortress of Solitude. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, what? What is it? Is this the Fortress of Solitude? What is it? And like, it's only on a second go round. I was like, oh, it's a spaceship. Yeah. And it's the same with with what is in Jonathan Kent's truck. It mm. took me a second to be like, oh, that's not crypto. That's the lamb. That's the lamb they mentioned in the space. That's that deformed calf, and that's the thing that you see Superman laughing at like two issues earlier or whatever it is. Yes, um, exactly. Which I thought was really, um, really well done. Uh, sorry, yeah, I but also it, yeah. I, I I like the reveal that oh that thing is actually the deformed calf, mm-hmm. but I didn't like the way that it was done in this issue, mm-hmm. if only because, again, and I think it's Kubert's fault. You can't tell that that's what it's supposed to be. Exactly. <laughs> like the, the, there's the, the reveal in the page, and you're like, wait, what is, what is that? <laughs> yeah, is that crypto? Because they do talk about the um, the ghost dog as the ship takes off. Yes. And I was like, because again, it turns to crystal. And I was like, wait, is that supposed to be crypto? Is that crypto following the spaceship? Right, right. But it's not. It's the spaceship turning to crystal. Yeah, yeah. It's it's deeply, it is deeply confusing. Um, there is some stuff. But at least I was kind of like, eh, I was able to figure most of that out on my own. And like you said, I generally blame Kubert for it. Um, yeah, I did I, like I, I, the I, fact I, that Morrison did a really nice job with the whole like you know some of the weird hardcore nerd people who are like how does like the you know kind of like getting crypto into the phantom zone and also the idea that the spaceship was the plan b after the phantom zone plan failed like i kind of Mm -hmm. like that because there was like the only good part that really came out of uh uh, Brian Azzarello and Jim Lee's uh, For Tomorrow, and it's not really a good part, but it is that thing of like, hey, wait a minute, if Jorel did create the Phantom Zone, why didn't he just evacuate everybody through it, you know, kind of thing, you know, like... Well, what I also like, what I also liked about this issue is it actually leaves 
the door open for Jarrell and Lyra to have survived. Ooh, nice. You're right. You're right. I didn't really even, like, parse that. Like, I, I don't know if anyone is ever going to use that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it pretty much, I mean, there's a possibility for them somehow to get into the Phantom Zone anyway. Right. Right, right, right. Or even, or yeah, exactly. No, it's a, uh, it's it, it. All what there, I like there, about a, it is there's a lot there it, that I really liked. Yeah, there, it's like I've sort of felt like he did a pretty good job of putting just adjusting one or two pieces a little bit in a way that like sort of leaves the door open for viable storytelling opportunities, you know, or not, you know. Because he, I mean, he definitely yeah. does keep the Phantom Zone there, and you definitely have it. So, like, clearly the door is open for Crypto to come back. But to what extent he will, or when, or how, you'll really have to see. So, yeah, I, I kind of like. I, I, I liked a lot. I mean, I liked seeing the Phantom Zone villains. I liked. Mm-hmm. The, I, I loved the Crypto attacked the Phantom Zone villains to protect his master. Yes, that he is a dog person, but I love that that's the way that crypto is going to survive. Not that you know we build this test spaceship for crypto that just happened to find his way to the same planet. Instead, it's like if crypto survives, it's because he survived because he was being a good dog. Yeah, exactly, exactly. No, it's really elegant, and uh, uh, yeah, I liked it. I don't know how I felt about the back. Story. I mean, it wasn't anything wrong, but it, yeah, but it kind of felt a little bit. Yeah, I kind oh, of I thought loved it was just. The back. Did you? Oh, see, I there really, we go. really liked it. In part because I loved the art. Mm. I honestly thought if anyone else had drawn this, I wouldn't like this nearly as much. But I thought the crisscrosses art in that story was just gorgeous. Mm. He draws a really really stylized person that reminds me very much of Chris Bacalo back back in the early days of Shade the Changing Man, especially the oh. fingers. Someone somewhere is going to be like, "What are you talking about?" But seriously, <laughs> crisscross fingers in the backstory of um, Action Comics Five. Go and compare them to Chris Bacalo's fingers for the first few issues of Shade the Changing Man. You'll see what I mean. Um, wow. I, I really, I really, I thought it was. I think I just thought it was nice, if that makes sense. Like, in, after you get the story of, you like, you know, this planet dies, this child comes down, oh my god, you have this really quiet story that's pretty much just like, shit things happen to good people. Yes. I really yeah, liked yeah. it. I thought that was, I, I much preferred the Steel story of the issue before. Uh, I did too, although at least the Steel story to me was kind of like, um... You know, he was doing what he could, but it also, but it also just sort of continued the tone. You know what I mean? Like the action comics that last issue ended on this big ta-da note, and then you've got another five pages of dramatic heroic punching, and this was kind of like, you know, ends on this ominous note, and then you've got such a tonally different story. Like I, which is what I really liked about it. You liked about it, right? Yeah, of course. Um, I would prefer like slightly. <laughs> no, I, it totally makes sense. I think I would have been down with it if they had just managed to throw the like the DC Comics All Access page in, or their, their sneak peeks, or just something. Yeah, so it wasn't just you turned the page and you literally went from that to boom, you know, completely you know what different I, style. You know what this issue really made me want to do? It made me want to re-read issue two and see if I could translate the Kryptonian. <laughs> Seriously, because what 
you see in English here what this uh, spaceship says to uh, Superman in issue two in Kryptonian. Oh, right. So you could like turn around and reverse engineer it. You could, you could, yeah, you could theoretically reverse engineer it. Yeah, that is so lovely, Graham. I wish I was enough of a nerd to have been either a uh, aware of that or b having heard it, been like, oh yeah, let's let's go do that. Let's do it now. I'm just like, oh, Graham. <laughs> I am. I am really the world's laziest fanboy. It's getting. It's getting very sad. You know. Because that's really how we define our passions. Like, yeah, I want to sit back and see if this Kryptonian language means something. And I'm like, yeah, it means buy more DC Comics. <laughs> That'd be awesome if you actually did translate it and that's what it meant. That would be awesome, <laughs> wouldn't it? I know you're reading like, this. What, what the fuck? <laughs> actually, you know, that would be genius. If they did that and they put, put a – it had a download code for like a, a special like sneak preview thing or something. That yeah, that would be a really nice use of it. Yeah, so. but but it won't. Um, <laughs> Not even close. Did you read Omak issue five? Yes, and I was just going to ask you about it. Um, I have to say, I loved the Hulk parts of it. I pretty much liked the Omak parts of it and loathed the Frankenstein parts of it. <laughs> That's interesting, seeing as they're generally in the same panel. <laughs> Yeah, they are. What, what, like, what do you mean? Um, I mean that I thought that uh, the characterization that's been established for these characters, such as they are in the pages of OMAC, was consistent. And I thought that I thought that Dan DiDio should have at least read a few issues of Frankenstein, or you know, before actually deciding to write the character. Like he clearly well, had did, read... you, did you did you see the credits? Did you see the credits of the issue? Uh-oh. Oh, I see where you're going with this. Oh, yeah, Jeff Lemire. Okay, then who do I blame for this, Graham? Do I blame Lemire, too? Because I thought this was horrible. Uh, yeah, yes, I think you do. Oh, man. See, because I was like, God, why are they keep trying to make him so, like, um, you know, like, I don't know, he, he all, he, he's got all of his, like, little zingers, I suppose, you know? I, according to... According to an interview about this crossover, mm-hmm. Lemire went and basically rewrote all of Frankenstein's dialogue, and Didio rewrote the OMAC dialogue in Lemire's issue. So I think if you've actually got a problem with Frankenstein's dialogue, it is Lemire you have to blame. Well, that's good, because I was planning on dropping that book anyway. So, yeah. Well, there you go. I, he's, give, he's giving you reason to do it. There we go. Hooray. Well, I had felt that way anyway, but I was very much like, I, yeah, it just it wasn't working for me. I It really doesn't. Um, I, I enjoyed all the, the punch em up stuff, I guess. I actually enjoyed having like a comic book where it's like, hey, the majority of it are big panels of people punching each other and rubble going everywhere. I'm like, that being said, there was a, f- I can't understand why they were punching each other out in the sewers and then suddenly they're like, you know, like out in the city and the double page spread. I felt weirdly, um, seeing this double page spread gave me a weird stab of nostalgia, though. I have to say, like, seeing they're it really, especially, especially the caption. Yes. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the caption which, is, caption, which is editor's note: Add any sound effect you want. I'm sitting back and enjoying this epic battle. Um, yeah. The reason they're out in the street is because they get blown up from the sewer. From the sewer. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I understand. That's why the explosion that. is underneath them. 
Yeah. What 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 caused the explosion though? They did. See, because they're like sewers. I hate sewers, but I hate you more. And then they punch each other, and then the next thing you know, they're both farting their way up into the cityscape. And Frankenstein that, that, had somehow drawn his sword. Well, wait, maybe he had the sword earlier. Oh, he's got the sword in one hand. Uh, yes. Yeah, I see him unsheathe <laughs> that. So that's uh, there, there is there is a lot of bad visual continuity in comics, but this, <laughs> there, yeah, the, the sword is out there. Um, I honestly have no idea why they get blown up beyond the fact that the colors that are used for the explosion are the same colors that seem to be behind Frankenstein anyway. So yes. I'm guessing maybe like Frankenstein did it. I have no idea. Yeah, there is a thing. Like, there's definitely very consistently behind Frankenstein at that point. But I was like, but, but, but why? So, because weirdly, I think actually, yes. No, and you go. No, 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 no. Please, you go. Actually. I uh, know. I was going to say is what I really liked about this book was that there were parts of it that just didn't really make sense. Like it felt very much like a 1970s Marvel comic where the heroes <laughs> fight because they fight. Right. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, especially when you get to that double page spread and that caption, you're like, "This is them." I mean, this is not a storybook. This is not a book where you're supposed to care about the story. This is a book oh, yeah. where you're supposed to be like awesome they're punching each other yeah exactly more awesome punching and i thought that was that part i really enjoyed i just really i had this thing where by that point uh god where is it there there was the whole like there there was some stage where there's like the send a monster to catch a monster it's getting old father time or whatever and i was just like really that's this this dude's been around for four issues you know what I mean like he's been and plus when you throw in the other four of his like this is this character is somebody who's had like what less than a like just maybe a dozen issues under their belt you know and you're already like this is already getting old I'm like yeah okay bad news you guys have sort of screwed the pooch on this you know like I, I just for me as as much as I enjoyed the parts like to me, with a Marvel '70s comic book, and, and admittedly, this is um, a little bit of when I was a kid, and there's a lot of transference going on. You got the idea that the writers liked both characters, you know? Like it wasn't, it hadn't quite descended into the realm of cynical. Like, hey, if we put Wolverine in here, I'll actually get you know a royalty statement this month. You know, it was just like, <laughs> yeah, and then then the Hulk actually manages to punch the thing, but then the Wendigo comes in and punches both of them, and then there's like a three-way punch, you know, kind of thing, where it's like, we're really excited that this character and this character are, are in the book. Like, I've always wanted to write this. And I never really got the sense that anyone was like, oh, I'm so glad that Frankenstein's really meeting Omac. You know what I mean? It was just like... I, I got much know? more of a sense of... They they were all more interested in Father Time and Brother Eye. Yeah, right. Did you get which that? Was, the, the, yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, which I thought was kind of a clever way to sort of offset the the punching is that there's a little bit of a battle of the wits going on between the screen behind I, the scenes. And I like the one-upmanship. I like the just, I mean, completely broad comedy of the one-upmanship. They'll never expect me to do this. Well, he can't have thought that I wouldn't expect him to do that. Like, I, I like that. And I kind of wish it had been developed so it came to something. Right. Like, if Alex did that and then they're like, oh, wait, the fight's over. Right. So maybe there'll be more of that next issue. But generally, I was, on the one hand... I 
I'm glad that somehow my brain made the switch that two ninety nine is the new dollar ninety nine for me because I really was like I enjoyed this book enough to keep reading it, but um, but if it had been like three ninety nine or something, I would have been like, wow, that was a tremendous disappointment, and I'm dropping this book. You know, as it is, I was like, hey, I'm dropping Frankenstein, problem solved. You know, so <laughs> although. I'm actually I haven't read Frankenstein since issue two, since issue two, and I'm probably going to pick up the crossover issue just to see what happens in it. Right. Um, mostly because I want to see because I think it's the same events from his point of view. Mm. And what I really want is I want a scene where he's like, "Oh fuck, I've lost an arm." Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, actually, you're probably right. That's probably going to be the case. It's so funny. I sort of assumed that it would be something entirely different. But uh, but I bet you're right. No, no, um, I, I, I think no, I think they've said that in interviews. I think they've said, like, it's the same story from the other character's point of view. Ah, uh, jeez. Well, maybe I won't even bother with picking it up then. That's kind of sad. Um, I did – what did you think of the last page reveal of the book? Uh, let me get back there. Oh yeah, with uh, Mokari and stuff. I I I don't know. I didn't really decide. <laughs> uh, is it decide? Wait, who? The chick with yes. the? No, 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 no. The guy talking on the screen at the back. The grand dictator is decide. Oh, I didn't see that part. It's totally <laughs> washed out in my thing. It's, it's so it's, funny. Yeah, it's really, really, really washed out. But it's clearly oh, decide. Okay, see, this is this is where I was so appalled and or so lazy in my reading that I actually thought that Mokari was talking to the to blank the, face the, the chick. Yeah. yeah. No. Who was who, He's who talking had to like Desad, a speech balloon. He's talking to the side and they're both after the Genesis technology. Right. Right. And I saw that and I was like, Oh, I will have more of your fourth world mythology, please. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, I, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I really like that. I really like that reveal. Yeah, huh, that's good. If it can save Dark Side from the, his Justice League fate, I'm a happy man. <laughs> oh no, I sort of loved your description of Dark Side's fate. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> uh, also, I, the last thing about Omak, I really loved the title of this issue. Oh yeah, I've that loved, actually I've was great. every every issue has had an ac- an OMAC acronym, but mm-hmm. making it occasionally monsters accidentally cross over was great. Yeah, yeah, that was that was actually that that might have been one of my favorite parts of the issue, apart from just the sheer like let's have people slug it out kind of things. But yeah, I I don't know. I wish I liked it. It sounds like you liked it a lot more than I did. It sounds like you were a lot more observant than I was, certainly with that last page. But um but yeah, I didn't uh eh, it didn't it, it ultimately I left really disappointed. And it's very weird because clearly I have some very strange attachment to to Morrison's conception of Frankenstein that the idea that I feel like they're not doing it right makes me very weird. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, no, I, I completely understand. I mean, there there are, if someone, for example, brought back like the Manhattan Guardian or Bulletier, I would be like, if you're not doing it exactly the way that Morrison did. Like when they brought Clarion back. Mm-hmm. Like bring Clarion yeah. back and not doing the way Morrison did him was like, no, 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 no. You guys are missing the point. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I kind of feel that way. I kind of feel like Frankenstein is this weird missing the point kind of like, eh, it's a gig. 
you know, hey, we'll make him afraid of fire. That would be awesome. And we'll we'll, give, we'll make him say things like, hmm, a lot. You know, I'm really, like, how long until... Um, like, um, <laughs> and then his face becomes a Rorschach. <laughs> Dude, there we go. Now we're on key to Papa Lichen. Um, let's see here. Uh, I'm trying to I realize I need to name this. You, you know what I read uh, yesterday that I liked infinitely more than I expected to? Uncanny X-Men issue four. Hmm. Which, of course, came out a week after Uncanny X-Men issue three, because welcome to Marvel. Uncanny issue... Also, it's very funny that happened, because Uncanny X-Men issue three has one, two, three, four, five, six artists and three colorists. Jesus. Because um, you've got to make that deadline, and then you bring the next issue out a week later. Yeah. Yeah, because there's that weird, like, hey, good news, we turned this around really quick. Like, oh, perfect, let's get that out now. Like, let's not let it cool. You know, now, 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 now. Um, yeah, I felt that way about Uncanny uh, X-Force 19.1, which was admittedly it was a point one episode, so who yeah, knows? Isn't they that just like another, when they isn't that two up. weeks or so after? Yes. Didn't, yeah. Do you know when we come like yesterday? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's crazy. This is, I swear to God, this is like the third issue in maybe six weeks. And I'm like, you know, I would really give me a chance to miss this book. You know what I mean? Like, I kind of want it to that's, grow. Yes. That's the real problem of, of double shipping in months. Mm-hmm. Like, it's nice to miss a book. It's, it's actually, it's not a good thing for the book mm-hmm. always to be available. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, Especially so. if the quality falls as a result. If the book is always available and you have an off issue, you're so much more likely to be like, I'll oh, just skip it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, anyway, I, what I, I was saying was um, Uncanny X-Men issue four is theoretically a fill-in issue. Uh, it's Brandon Peterson drawing. Uh, it's still Kieran Gillen writing. Um, and it's, it's, that, it's the rarest of things in modern superhero comics. A really well done, done in one. Hmm. A really, really well done, done in one. It's, it's lovely. <laughs> That's great. And, and after coming, because I bought issue three at the same time, because issue three came out last week, and I wasn't at the store last week. Um, and issue three was kind of a disappointment. And if I hadn't bought the two together, I'm not sure I would have picked up issue four. Uh, but as it is issue four, it's, it's by far the best issue of the series so far. Oh, good. Good. Gillen's actually really strong at done in ones. He's done a variety of them in Journey into Mystery, and they usually feel incredibly filling. You know. Um, yeah, I, I really. I mean, for for people who, especially nineteen nineties X fans, who have dropped off and basically think that, like I, to be honest, that the the franchise has no heart anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should pick up issue four. You should pick up Uncanny X Men issue four. Huh. It's it's um it's really surprisingly lovely. Did you uh, want to give more details, or is that when it starts? Uh, the, into- the, the, the the villain is the villain. The the lead character is one of the phalanx. Do you remember the phalanx? Ah, uh, see, this is a problem. You did say '90s X Men. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's um. Do you remember Warlock from the New Mutants? Yes. The tech mechanic character. Do you remember basically in the 90s they introduced like a whole race of him and they were villains and they were coming to take over the world and infect everyone with their techno-organic virus? Right. It's one of them. Oh. 
Uh, and it's, it's one who has been separated from the rest of his race and kept in captivity by Mr. Sinister. And then as a result of the end of issue three, he's basically let go because Mr. Sinister's like, ah, I don't need this anymore. Hmm. Uh, and it's basically, it's all about what happens after he's, after this thing is released. Huh. And it's just, it's just really, really nice. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, 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 a really surprising and, and uh, weirdly touching one-off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Huh, that so is fantastic. It, it, it's really, X-Men fans highly recommended, and I would say more recommended than the first three issues of the book. Wow. Well, that will be yeah, uh, between, on the list to jump in. Yeah. But between that and... Um, Wolverine the X-Men's first three issues like the, the core X titles are really surprisingly strong much stronger than I would expect oh yeah 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 no some, uh, somebody's done a good job putting it all together yeah mm-hmm because mm-hmm. you know Uncanny X-Force is pretty goddamn strong as well so I mean that's like if you've got three titles that seem like they're more or less working out of out of a you know whole I don't know whatever you call it bundle of titles that previously were not that's that's pretty impressive you know yeah and it, it would be nice to see if they could actually call the other titles because I mean things like X-Men I know it's X-Men team up only they've forgotten to add the words team up to the title but mm-hmm. it's it's not, it's not working and I think X-Men Legacy also is a book without a purpose anymore um, and it'd be nice if they could pull the, the franchise back to a point where you just have these incredibly good books as opposed to we've got these great books and these books that are alright right well good news it seems like that's what Marvel's shooting for unfortunately they're just planning on shipping those good books um, as often as possible and sort of diluting their own quality so yeah but that's just it like issue 4 issue 4 theoretically should be the one that's in quality it's a fill-in issue it's a week after the last issue and yet it's the best issue of the bunch right right which is great I mean that that we'll see where that goes it would be wonderful if they could keep that sort of quality up you know did you pick up uh... good job Yes, yes. Poor Karen. Poor Karen Gillan. We're pretending like he's not listening. Uh, he, you know, maybe he's not. Maybe. Maybe look, I. I don't. I was listening to um, the Splash Bay podcast that uh, Chad Nev and Tim Callahan did one for Christmas, and I finally got around to listening to it yesterday. And it starts off with him talking about us, and I had to scroll past that. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> really? Shit! Obviously, I'm yeah. behind. So it starts, starts with um, with it starts off with Tim Callan going Chad Nevitt like I go yeah <laughs> <laughs> and I like and the best was he goes Chad Nevitt and before he even explained I was like oh shit he's doing me <laughs> <laughs> I just knew oh, that's really funny you're like quick 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 fast forward fast forward there really was I was like iPod just scroll scroll <laughs> fly like the wind iPod fly like the wind <laughs> so uh, what other things did you pick up and or feel like discussing sir just, uh, just... let's see what did I pick up uh, I picked up Justice League Dark issue 4 and Flash issue 4 Flash issue 4 Flash God love you you're a gorgeous looking book that I swear to God is trying to kill me by having a terrible story <laughs> Oh god, I actually forgot to pick it up. Shit, I can't believe I forgot to pick well, up the it's, Flash. It, it, 
it looks lovely, and I will. I cannot be happier than when this issue, this storyline is over, because oh, yeah. storyline's fine, except that I just don't care about this guy who can split himself into lots of other guys. I really don't. But there is. But in terms of the art, I mean, this is the issue where, like, oh, so basically they've paid attention to what J.H. Williams is doing and decided to beat him at his own game. Wow. There are a number of double page spreads with just lovely layout. Wow. Like there's there's one after the, the, the core human of the mob rule character. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he is he's punched by one of his clones. And the top third of the double page spread is him lying on the ground and crying and mm-hmm. the trails of his tears form the panel borders for the rest of the page. Holy shit. That's amazing. And there's what there's double page spread where it's tr- a tree, a silhouette of a tree, and the branches of the panel borders. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, there's one where it's it's a flashback to mob rule being created, and the mm-hmm. panels are all in the shape of uh, sort of Saul Bass hands. Wow, really? Yeah. yeah. So I mean, yeah, it's really, it's just, it's lovely, lovely, lovely looking. But the story is boring me to tears. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's continuing. I'm like, God help us, it's still continuing. <laughs> and it's continuing. Yeah. Oh, I think this is six issues. At, at this point, I really think yeah. this is six issue story. Yeah, yeah. Which um, is and also, to be fair, they're they're how they get out of the cliffhanger is kind of cheap. Mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but but visually, it's just lovely. <laughs> visually, it's just such a lovely looking book. As is Justice League Dark. Justice League Dark is is I think an underrated book in terms of its visuals. I think yeah. it might be my favorite art in the in the New Fifty Two. Oh wow! There's just some just something about it. I think it's actually not just the art, but the colors as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it's a, a beautiful looking book. Uh, and Peter Milligan is continuing to turn into old Peter Milligan the more the series is going on. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like, there, there's so much stuff here. You're like, oh, you're getting back into, like, you know, late 1980s twisted Peter Milligan. I, I approve. Right, exactly. Please, tell me more. Yeah. Yes. So how much How much more can you do of this? Um, yeah, so, so there is there is an element of that which I really, really like. Like, the book is, the book is growing. I, th- I think a lot of New 52 books aren't. Mm-hmm. I think they're they're pretty much like you know either staying in the same quality they were when they launched or getting sloppier. Whereas I think Justly Dark is actually getting better. Oh, that's fabulous! That's great. Yeah, you know it's funny. I don't know why I have not read anything since the first issue, and I kind of don't know why because I actually like the first issue well enough. I actually liked Milligan's Constantine. I kind of liked what he was doing. There was and the art like I thought the art was good, but there was some weird point where I just sort of like I didn't. It was one that I didn't come back for, and that's maybe that's yeah. one the Marsh. I, I, I think on digital. I think the first collection might be the mm. way to get into it. Mm, interesting. I just think I think it might work better in a collection ultimately. Um, See, so yeah, I got those. What else did I get? I got Angel and Faith, the latest issue of Angel and Faith, which is kind of throwaway and kind of not worth it, which is a shame because I thought the first four issues were really strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got Captain Victory issue two, the second issue of the the Kirby Genesis spinoff. Oh yeah, right, right. Uh, yeah, which who's I'm so so uh, Sterling Gates is writing it, and oh, I'm so happy that they're making an art change, the, an artist change with the third issue because Wagner Rice is not the right artist for this book. Mm. 
Um, and they're changing it to Steve Scott, who's done stuff for like the the Marvel Adventures line. Mm-hmm. Who who might who I think might be a better fit. Hmm. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. But in terms of story, I think it's actually it's not spectacular, but I think it's actually really strong um, hmm. and gives me hope. It's definitely better than the first issue, uh, and gives me hope that it will turn into a really good book. That'd be great. That would be great. I, I think Gates has a chance to get his feet under him. Mm-hmm. I think he'll turn it into something good. Well, you know, I guess in theory he's got uh, less time working on Hawk and Dove, so, you know, might, might be able to... Yeah, I'm so glad that that was the change the DC made to Hawk and Dove. <laughs> Wasn't it? I really was like, huh, that's the horse you decided to bet on. Okay. Yeah, exactly. It really... And also that the, the rumor that um, Rob Liefeld's then going to take over the writing of uh, Deathstroke... Wasn't that Have an amazing that? rumor? Yeah, I saw the rumor and I'm like, what? Like, really? <laughs> okay. That's what you're going to do? Yeah. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, the, the idea of him as just writer. I don't know. Who knows? Let's see. I, I, honestly, I, I, I'd be more tempted to read a book written by Rob Liefeld than drawn by him. So, out of the either-or equation... Yeah, true, but again, I don't think you're going to get any interest in Deathstroke no matter what. Oh, yeah, that's true as well. Yeah, I don't... It's really weird. I don't have any um, a special interest in Deathstroke ever, which is a shame, because did I tell you that... Um, do you remember when they had... DC had that Teen Titans sale, like, two or three months ago, like, maybe back around Thanksgiving or something? Yeah, I remember that. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you were so quiet. You're like, yes. I bought a hu- a surprisingly large chunk of digital issues of that. And oh, of uh, what year? Of the Wolfman Perez stuff, actually. Starting with the first ah. six issues of Wolfman Perez and then jumping forward to the stuff that I, as much as I could afford, essentially, of the stuff around the Judas contract and the, the build up to that and the stuff afterward. And I I didn't make my way up to that, but the first four or five issues of Teen Titans I was had reread like maybe a few weeks ago. I was like, God damn, this is surprisingly satisfying. You know, it really, really? was. Yeah, I I know, I know. It's it's kind of weird because you let me guess. DC sent you the Teen Titans omnibus, and <laughs> no, no, they did not. But what I was going to say is I've I've got a lot of that stuff at the library. Mm. I've said this before, and because I didn't read it at the time, and so I've read it like recently in the last couple of years, and I've been—it's left me kind of flat. Mm, interesting. Did you read? Did you jump into the Judas contract, or did you start from the very beginning? Uh, I did both. Oh, interesting. I okay. got the I got the archives of the really early stuff, which mm-hmm. I enjoyed well enough. But put it this way: I enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed Firestorm by Jerry Conway. Right. Well, yes, you know, exactly. which, which is, you know, solid, but it's also, I guess, what it really is, is it didn't match up to the reputation it has. Mm. It's not that I had real problems with the work itself as much as, like, I wanted more because people were like, this is the book that revolutionized DC Comics. And then you read it and you're like, really? This yeah. is the book that revolutionized it? You know, it, it reads very much like weak Marvel. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, exactly. That was part of why. That was precisely kind that of. That was I guess, with DC. That was exactly. That's how I made the bridge. I made the jump over it. Now, and I started in at 
I want to say Teen Titans like much later, like maybe closer to issue 15. I don't know. So I hadn't actually read these first six issues. But so the great part was I was like, oh, well, I haven't read these, so I should be somewhat, you know, nostalgia and vulnerable, I think. But, um... But it's, you, you, you are and you're not. That's the thing. Right. If you've read something else in that those creators runs, yeah, then you're you're not nostalgia about books. You're like, oh, I remember this. <laughs> I don't really. Uh, I remember a lot about it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. These are things that I like, and I remember like, oh right, like this is like Perez's design sense is as. It, it 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 doesn't move into the fussiness of the early year of the later years, but it's like still clean, but like with a bunch of stuff in it. And even the first issue for me, I was like, wow, this first issue, with the exception of shit with I don't know Wally West, like it sets up a lot of the base notes as to sort of why those characters are there, and also seeding the stories with stuff that pays off later on. You know, like everyone's got a little hook, and I kind of like the. I I was like, huh, yeah. It was, it was a weird comparison to something like, say, Defenders number one. You know, in the sense of, you know, it's like this is what I think of as uh, an enjoyable superhero team book, and it was it was weird to me. Like you said, it may have, there there's an element I'm sure of nostalgia to it, and frankly, I think that both neither Wolfman nor Perez's work has aged well. I'm really scared to go back and read like the Judas Contract and some of the other stuff that I loved because by that point, both of them are you know emboldened by success are are moving into the areas of the, the their ticks that drive me crazy but at this little stage like you said where it's sort of like weak marvel i was like i felt like i got a full issue worth of issue out of you know each of the each of the issues that i read and i was i was pretty happy with that okay kind so here's a question enough. mm-hmm how much of this? Because I have, I think this is very much my reaction to the Firestorm thing. How much right. of this is based out of a us being curmudgeons, and b us having such low expectations for the professionalism of modern comics that when we read a comic that, let's face it, could best be described as professional, we're like, yeah, there's really something about that. They tell a story. Right. Well, okay. I, I let let's tweak things a little bit. I'll definitely grant you the curmudgeon. Uh, part. My personal feeling is is that comics, for the most part, can't. They just can't tell the story the way that they used to tell the story. So it, you know, it's this weird like, um, you know, it, they're products of their time, and it's very easy because I had read those books at the time to sort of not be annoyed by like how relentlessly exposition filled the dialogue is you know how cl- you know everyone's got a hook but those hooks are set up just so clumsily you know and everyone's motivation is scarce and in some cases like absent you know like there's a huge chunk of the first arc has everything to do if i'm remembering correctly with um the teen titans like getting involved with this guy who was beating his girlfriend who turns out to be the terminator you know deathstroke the terminator's son other son um and 
you're like that happened all entirely by coincidence you know it was just but they're like oh well we're coming by to see who you're oh great googly moogly he's attacking her you know kind of thing like it was just that weird like like well of course we saved you you know we crashed in through your apartment saved you once now we're best friends and we're coming by all the time kind of like stuff that doesn't make any sense uh, yeah. But I still, at the same time, I had a um, – because of the way that they can pack all that shit in, there's – like the issues feel very full. It's like, okay, I feel like I know who these characters are. There's a couple of good punchlines. You know, there's a couple of corny jokes by Beast Boy that suggests that there's stuff going on underneath him. And there's a whole bunch of uh, interesting punch ups And there's even a fight scene where it looks like they're losing and then they turn around – you know, and win, and, and it turns out they win, right? Exactly, but because everyone's constantly talking while they fight, they can actually explain why that's the case. Not just yes. come here, you. Arr! You know, it's very much this case of like you weren't counting on the fact that my blah 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 allows me to yakety yakita. Now you will pay. Arg, awesome. Okay, so here's a question: Would if someone read dialogue to Defenders issue two, so that during the fight sequence you had Iron Fist instead of going I can't concentrate to saying so you shot me but what you didn't realize was that I control the chi in my body which allows me to not only heal myself but repel the bullets out of my body would that make it a better comic? Good question. Because I'm, I mean, I'm, technically... I'm, I'm worried that the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm worried of that because at least then you'd know what's going on. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I feel the same way. I mean, that's my thing, is is that there's part of me that feels that maybe superheroes don't work especially well without all the cruft, you know? Like, you kind of have to build a certain amount of it in there in order to... Um, like, we were watching Downton Abbey, uh, which is a kind of a weird segue, which you've seen, right? Yes, and I I love, but Down Abbey is yeah. Okay, on so, you go. Down Abbey, which greatly dig it is like maybe Edie's second time through watching it. And one of the things that I loved about Down Abbey is they have a perfectly valid justification for why they can be so cheap. You know what I mean in terms of their exposition, because they will show you a scene. Um, uh, the classic example. Well, I don't want to spoil stuff, but they will show you. No, spoil it. It's it's a year old by this point. Spoil I know, it. but okay. Well, okay. Classic example: the very end where um, the lady of the manor has gotten knocked up, and suddenly there's the potential that there will be a male heir that Lord Grantham will have produced and they will no longer need Matthew the lawyer who's you know tied into inheriting everything through the entail and there's no reason for his romance to exist and blah 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 so the thing is is when he finds out when Lord Grantham finds out that that his wife is pregnant you see all this stuff on his face and there's a couple of servants in the room and then the next scene is the servants explaining to you all the stuff about Matthew and if it's a male hair in other words everything that you they've got the scene where you can sit there and you have that moment of you as smart viewer can figure it out and then they've got a perfectly sound justification because servants are always gossiping about the lords and the lords family for that fact are always sort of idly chattering about the servants that 
you've got a perfectly good excuse for um, why people are explaining to the slow people what's going on. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? The slow yeah, audience and members. I, and, and I think there's something else that did that recently. I want to say it was a... Yeah, um, Kate, as you know, is a big fan of the Masterpiece Mystery series on PBS. Mm-hmm. And there was this British show called Case Histories where they... They basically explained without explaining. They gave the final piece of the puzzle. And if you're paying attention, you'd be like, oh, shit, that means that blah, 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 blah. Right. And then the next scene, you have a peripheral character going, I don't get it. What happened? Which means one of the characters has to go, well, yes, that's important exactly. because, and it's really, really useful. Mm-hmm. It is <laughs> like, really it's, useful. It makes, it, it makes the exposition less feel less like exposition yeah because the exposition suddenly serves character purpose yeah and that's it if you can get it to serve character purpose and one of the things that's so satisfying about Downton Abbey is the way they figure out ways to explain shit to you or the the slow viewers um, in a way that heightens the sense of characterization for everybody and you know and sometimes I do wish there was more of that like the the way that Stan Lee built it into superhero comics was by turning everyone into humor, human chatterboxes and kind of slightly braggy chatterboxes so that they would actually be talking about what they were doing while they were doing it in ways that, you know, of course, like bent the rules of reality and time but totally worked on the comics page, you know? And now that these things have changed up, like you've got a stronger sense of movement and fluidity, but you have to work really, you've got to be really sharp and clever to figure out ways to either, oh, this is another perfect example. Um, I saw Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol last week. Have you seen that? Oh, how was it? No, I really want to see it. Dude, okay. I I think... I think it's phenomenal. And that is... I cannot believe that I am calling a movie that has neither plot nor character phenomenal. I mean, that is... Like, that's about as hard as you, hardcore as you can get. You know what I mean? But Brad Bird's direction, the action set pieces, the amount of thought that goes into them, and the visual storytelling, it's really good. I mean, to me, if you... Part of the problem, is, of course, is is that there's no real comparison because you've got Tom Cruise in the in the main role. But I honestly would say that it's better than at least fifty percent of the Indiana Jones movies, if not seventy five percent of them. Um, it is just the best pure action visual storytelling, and there's so many little bits where they show you or they play with your expectations visually, but it's all it's all in the visual information field. The plot part is just bullshit and makes like no sense and there's weird plot turns that only exist to fuck with your expectations of what you think the movie is going to give you um, but the rest of it the storytelling is phenomenal phenomenal that, that is exactly why I want to see it because it yeah. pretty much as soon as they were like Brad Bird is directing I was like that's gonna look spectacular yeah and you know I really had that thing of like ah it looks spectacular but to me his ability to throw little bits of character you know that way that he does in Iron Giants and The Incredibles no, that, that's what I mean his visual storytelling mm-hmm. is amazing yeah 
Exactly. For for making for giving you a hook into these characters. Like he pretty to me it really was, as I was saying on Twitter, and I think no one was willing to take me seriously, it's the best <laughs> non Spielberg Spielberg movie that I've seen. And in fact, it's better than a lot of Spielberg's more recent stuff. Like now that being said, it really does suffer, but I'm fascinated by the and the number of decisions that they made. The number of decisions that Tom Cruise made was really interesting. It's like they went down a checklist, like they sat down with a dry erase board and made a list of everything that people would want from a Tom Cruise movie, and then they made a list of everything that they don't want Tom Cruise to do in a movie, and they figured out a way to, to shunt them. This, I swear to God, I've never seen a movie, Graham, where the Hollywood star has a designated actor. You know what I mean? Like, it's like a designated pitch hitter in baseball. There's no reason... So, so Jeremy how is Renner's Jeremy Renner? He's great! He's really good. As the designated actor for that movie, he's he's really good. I mean, he really does. There's scenes that where he is saying shit out of his mouth that you're like, why isn't Tom Cruise saying this? And you realize it's because no one wants to see Tom Cruise do this scene. You know? Tom Cruise, they, like, I'm, I'm impressed by the lack of vanity that Tom Cruise, who it comes off as incredibly vain in this movie, is like, people are just like, uh, Tom, we really, no one really wants to see you act, but we really want to see you run. He's like, okay, if that's what it takes to make a hit, what can we do to make this work? Well, we'd like to bring Jeremy Renner in and have him explain your backstory to everyone else. Okay, okay, I would have liked that scene, but let's get it done, you know? And <laughs> it really works. It really works. I enjoyed that movie a lot. I was shocked by how much I enjoyed that movie. So, um, but but the amount of thought and care and smarts that Brad Bird goes into st- storytelling, to visually storytelling his stuff, is the stuff that if you want if you want to do a Defenders number two where you don't um, explain what's happening or why people are stuck in this death trap and can only get out by having someone shrink down and walk through the bars when she can reach over and rip the things off of anyone else at any time like if you want it if you don't want to have that in clunky exposition like okay figure out ways to tell it the way that Brad Bird told this story you know or Downton Abbey yeah <laughs> yeah. that, that's what you need you need Downton Abbey and um, Brad Bird's direct Downton Abbey starring the Defenders there we go suddenly everyone's dream project comes to life Defenders Abbey <laughs> uh, I, I don't um, so I don't know Down if I managed to wiggle out of this trap that, that where I actually admit, admitted to liking New Teen Titans what was I talking about it in comparison to I, I really don't remember which is. Was it the thing. Avengers <laughs> Annual that I haven't brought up yet? Did you read the Avengers? Oh no, annual? bring no, bring it up. Why did you buy the Avengers Annual? Uh, well, let me just say, at the risk of potentially going to jail, that I had a friend lend me Avengers Annual. Oh, so, okay, okay. I, so. <laughs> and, yes, and just for the yes, your, in, your friend, the internet. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I will write you from prison. Hopefully, they'll let us Skype. <laughs> I, Avengers Annual Number One. How, how, how is it? How is the uh, Avengers Annual? I didn't it's like part, it. It's part two of the the. Um, I am Wonder Man, and I've got insane story that started like seventeen years ago, right? Yes, exactly, exactly. They bring it. When, back. when was the new Avengers Annual? Because the new Avengers Annual, I feel, was like July last month, July last year, rather. 
uh, the, which was the first part of the It was September. Yeah, the first part of the story was in September. Yeah. yeah. One of the great things about it is, is that this story takes place before Fear Itself number one, which I think is... That, that, that's good, which, which was April last year. Okay. Wait, so I'm... A, right, exactly. So this takes place before April so the, last so, year. So the first part of the story, which came out in September, actually takes place before April. I love it when artists hit deadline, don't you? I, I Yes, exactly. I love it when they hit deadline. I also can't wait for you to become a Time Lord, because not only will you look jaunty as hell popping out of the TARDIS, but you have no trouble with this shit. You're always like, oh, how great that it came up before September, which was April, and this is 2008, which means it was 2006, which means this took place last week. Hey, I'm like, hey, I, I grew up with Doctor Who, okay? This stuff is no problem for me. Okay, apparently, because I'm totally like, uh, shipping weeks? Anyway, so this story is, um, right, actually I guess it sort of starts off in like media res with like oh, so this really was like when I was just not paying attention to all this stuff, this is actually the the first part of this story is the them having the everyone getting the crap beaten out of them see, this just seems like I, such I, a I Avengers don't know, I, I didn't read the new Avengers issue, uh, annual one okay, well this particular uh, Avengers annual that I'm reading starts with having everyone being beaten to crap and like people like Doctor Strange it was great where Wong is like I can't get Doctor Strange to revive and people are like don't move him Wong medical help is on its way and then they just basically go back to talking like it's literally there's there's Doctor Strange who is like lying there bleeding from every orifice and like and Captain America Thor and Iron Man are all are all standing around going like this cannot be ignored he crossed the line and I'm like um yeah you know you got a person who's kind of like bleeding to death right there like, oh, oh he's medical help anyway so then there's the Avengers Tower and they're you know is being attacked and then they go in there and um I don't know they figure out where Wonder Man is anyway it's dull it's a dull issue but at least it's it's like at least with Bendis you sort of feel like you're kind of getting a full story um I was very bummed that that Wonder Man has recruited a team of second stringer superheroes uh that nobody but me liked essentially and has ruined them now for more or less ever so I uh, so here's my question why was one? Why has this happened to Wonder Man? Is that explained? Like, why is yes. Wonder Man so against the Avengers? Yeah, his whole thing is very much like you guys. I'm tr- I'm trying to stop you from basically a you're hurt, you're hurting good people and b essentially that the Avengers have this whole secret history. I mean, again, it's that weird like Bendis like oh hey. What's what? What's big on Google News? Um, WikiLeaks, you know, kind of thing. Uh, where Wonder Man like beats them up. He goes and trashes the Avengers Tower at least somewhat, and then he goes and gives a big press conference and says, "Like I told them to shut down the Avengers. It was an idea that looked good on paper, and they've been responsible for numerous good and noble actions. But it has come with a laundry list of death, destruction, and criminal behavior that I've witnessed with my own eyes. That all of us have been either been witness to or victims of. Um, and basically, it's 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 more the same. That's pretty much of what he's saying. He's like, wait, wait, seriously, that's it." That's it? 
The Avengers have to be held accountable for their actions. Instead, they've surrounded themselves with a bubble of non-accountability, a smokescreen of self-created mythology to hide the terrible secrets that each and every one of them, and that's pretty much as far as it goes. Seriously? Yeah, well, let me see. Wow. I mean, admittedly, I tore through this. There's like a scene at the no, end no, of no, him no, Beast that... Mm-hmm. That's, but yeah, that's, that's it. That's... That's like, the, but there was no like events that made him realize this. He just changed his entire character again because that was the story. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, he he's there's a point where he kind of says like, "I died a few years ago. The only reason I'm here today is because Wanda Maximoff missed me, used her powers, and brought me back. And that was the, probably the first hint that something was wrong with her. But because it was all something we all wanted." We couldn't see it. We did nothing. And that's my point. You know, we're too close to see what we're actually doing to the world. And there's no way for us to do the real damage being in. I was birthed out of a crazy woman's maniacal delusion. I have nothing to lose and nothing to gain. I can tell you that I'm right and you just don't see it, but you will. So he's basically wow. saying like, yeah, and that that's about as as close as it gets. And honestly, the story is hugely anticlimactic, even for somebody who didn't read part one. So I can only imagine how it is for everyone else. So what what is the the finale? The, he fights the Avengers, and then they're all like, "Well, you're wrong." He's like, "Okay." Uh, what happens is they beat him up. They well, they manage to to you know Iron Fist Iron Man uses a, a you know Stark MacGuffin to basically contain Wonder Man, you know, because he's ionic energy. He just sort of zoops him into a light bulb. And then later they put him in a containment center, I guess at Avengers Tower, and then he and the Beast talk, and the Beast is like, you know, for God's sakes, what's going on? We used to be best friends. Talk to me. Please tell me that you're being controlled by someone or something. And he's like, no, I'm not. This is why this happened. And eventually, and he says something along the lines of, Hank, you have to promise me as my best friend, as somebody that I love, when you see this happen, when you see what I've seen, you will shut the Avengers down. And then he, you know, Hank basically looks very upset, leaves the room, and then uh, Wonder Man basically, as far as I can tell, transports out of his cell or disintegrates. I don't know. But he, he disappears, leaving an empty thing behind. So That's terrible. <laughs> I, know. I mean, I know. that really is because that—that's been our subplot since the first issue of the Avengers relaunch, which at this really? point is what more than a year ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Wonder Man turns up in like the first issue of Avengers, the the uh, Romita Junior Bendis title, mm-hmm. uh, and is like, "You guys are making a terrible mistake." Oh God! And then later on in the arc, he fights the Avengers and is like, "You're making a terrible mistake. I'll show you." And so the idea right. that that's the resolution of a year's worth of subplot is terrible. <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, beyond weak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really weak. And it's classic Bendis like, oh, I'll just, ha- I'll just have a bunch of people make some speechify stuff. And he actually ends up there. There is like a scene of them punching for like, I don't know, five or six pages, I guess, you know. Um, but again, I was just. Did like, I tell you? Oh. Mm-hmm. Did I tell you about my realization that in Bendis' Avengers, there's never actually any uh, climax? Every story, it's no, every story is set up for another story. Every single arc. Yeah. Every single arc. 
either like the the second arc in Avengers, which is all about them, uh, the Hoods finding the Infinity Gems, mm-hmm. which could theoretically be about the fact that you know it could be a conclusion to the storyline of the Avengers having the Infinity Gems and hiding them from the Illuminati series. Right. The end of that is that the Avengers form a new Illuminati and they all take the gems away. It literally resets us. Yeah. Wow. Like, every every single Bendis Avenger story is prelude for something else. Every single one. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that was... Yeah. Yeah. It, it, It reminded me of why I really jumped off the Avengers after giving, like, a huge chunk. But his, like, launch... You know, when it was him and Finch or whatever. The scene where they're like in the Savage Land and they're like, you know, naked and about to be tortured or something. And then, you know, they the villain like gets defeated and runs off into the Savage Land jungle on fire. And they're all like, okay, time to go home. It's like, what? Find the person. Like, do the thing. Like, do something. And it was just like, oh, uh, something's on with the TV. I mean, it is. It's it's a committed. It's a commitment to a lack of resolution. And wow, I remember when that one thing. Like, remember that one storyline where it was like, "I am the guy who has the powers of all the mutants in the world, and I've returned, and I've killed Alpha Flight, and I'm going to kick all your asses." I think this was an Avengers Annual too, and he like ends up like. I don't know, he ends up on the moon or something, and he's like, and I am Zorn! And they're all like, okay, well, and then they sort of shoot him into space further, or, I don't know, the sentry punches him, and it's just No, like, no, 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 he, because yeah, he eventually ended up in Omega Flight, because Bendis did nothing with him. Bendis had him arrested. That's what Bendis does with these villains. Either they escape to plot again, or they get arrested by S.H.I.E.L.D. Which, yeah, which, I mean, in a way, so sort of, I'm like, kind of like, okay... I, you know, how is this different from the way superhero comics used to handle it? You know, but I guess what it is is the difference for me is it didn't take six, six issues to get there. Mm-hmm. And you, I don't know, there's just something about I don't know. There's, I feel that when they disappear into the shield hole, they disappear mm-hmm. into the shield hole so that at some point they can be recruited by someone within shield. Right. Do you know what I mean? There's a difference between, like, and then they go to jail. Because, <laughs> like, and then they get arrested by S.H.I.E.L.D. It's really, and then they get arrested by S.H.I.E.L.D. so that the last scene of the comic can be a shadowy figure coming in going, Mr. Name a villain here. I'd like to offer you something that you might find interesting. Do you know oh God, what I mean? It's true. Yeah, no, I think I've read that issue conclusion at least two or three times, and I haven't followed the Avengers in like years. Oh, oh, it's but bad. he does the same in Ultimate Spider-Man as well. Ultimate Spider-Man. Oh, maybe that's probably part they'll of either it too. die or they'll end up in, in shields, and then someone will be like, "Mr. So and So," I, I, you know, blah blah. blah. I, I read this week um, Ultimate Doomsday, which is the the Bendis like uh, trilogy of miniseries where. Reed Richards becomes a bad guy, huh. um, and it's 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 one of those things that, like a lot of Bendis comics, you're like, that's a great idea, done in the worst way imaginable. Yeah, yeah, couldn't have been done worse. Huh? Um, because the idea, because his his core idea is this: after Ultimatum, mm-hmm. the Fantastic Four split up. Without right. having the other members of the Fantastic Four around him, Reed Richards basically realizes that he's an evil—he's an evil genius. Mm-hmm. 
and he then sets about killing everyone. Mm-hmm. Anyone who could outthink him, he's like, I'll just kill them. I'll kill right. them first, and then I can become a benevolent dictator because I know better than anyone. Sure. And that's a really strong idea, right? Mm-hmm. The execution is appalling. The execution <laughs> is really, 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 it's, it's far too long. And again, it comes with no real resolution. And it comes with so many um, Bendis quirks. Mm-hmm. So, like, one of the first people he goes after is Nick Fury in disguise. Nick Fury, of course, when you piss Nick Fury off, you're going to go down. <laughs> and it's just, yeah, I mean, and you get Nick Fury saying shit like that. Mm-hmm. Do you know what of I mean? Course. It's just like, hey, you shouldn't have pissed me off. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, it, it was just... It's one of those things where you realize I I have read too many Bendis comics because I know all of your tricks, mm-hmm. and, and you can you can you can take them off when you, when he does them. Was it you or Rich that basically were like, oh hey? And the good news is like Bendis's comics, like he he might have a ton in the can. Like he might be talking about when he stops writing them, but we may have another year worth of Avengers books after that. Was that, was that rich over uh, bleeding? Clear? Uh, I possibly, I was the one who said something along the lines of he's not set a firm date yet. Brevoort is now on record as saying that it's going to be towards the end of 2012. Okay. The, the, the end of his, the end of his thing. And also that the new writer has been chosen. Right. Which is yes, kind of right. interesting. Um, if only because I was really surprised that Brevoort is still going to be the editor after that. I thought they were going to do like Bendis is over, therefore we're finally going to take the Avengers out of Brevoort's hands. Not because he's done a bad job, but because they've done that with the X Men and the Spider Man titles. After a long period, they're like, okay, it goes to another editorial office. Right. Huh. Um, Interesting. But it's yeah, apparently not. I, I, it, I guess it's just going to be whoever, whoever is going to take over. Well, I can see where they might want a certain amount of continuity. Um, do you have any idea who that might? Do you have a Do you have a handicapped favorite as who's going to be taking over for Bendis? I think it's if if Brevoort's there, it's going to be Hickman. But that's just me. Uh, yeah, it's going to be Hickman or Fraction, Fraction, mm. or someone like you just would not expect. Yeah, I think the other week we were mean, like saying like, yeah. yeah, that would be great. Jeff Lemire, hey, step right on up. Uh, do you have a hard stop on this episode, or are we just sort of like rambling? I, I, I probably should have a hard stop. To be perfectly honest with you, we have been going for two hours. We have. Uh, it's not a hard stop, but we we should be wrapping it up soon. Okay. Well, let me mention a few <laughs> other books very quickly that I picked up that I read and liked. I. Uh, I I I enjoyed. Uh, what's the right word? Enjoyed isn't the right right word. The the last yeah, issue of Secret Avengers. Secret. Yes, exactly. The last yeah, issue of Secret Avengers. Introduction is amazing. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, ah, uh, uh. I uh, oh, uh, <laughs> I thought Warren Ellis. <laughs> For the final issue of his Secret Avengers thing, did a really interesting approach to a done-in-one. I did not actually like it. I found, well, I didn't hate it. I admired it, I suppose. Is it a permanent issue? 
It's the it's the Stuart Malieve issue. Uh, Stuart Alex Malieve. It's Alex Malieve. It's a it's oh, a time there, travel there's thing. There's one more issue left. There's one more issue left. Oh, is there? Oh, Stuart, okay. Stuart Eminem is doing the the final issue. Wow. Okay. That's so strange. Huh. I kind of figured this would have been such a, a decent one. Are they is is have they been doing Secret Avengers bi monthly then, or am I just not paying attention to? <laughs> Compared to every uh, other book uh, that comes out every two weeks or once every three weeks, I, I, I don't know. Like a I, I really don't know. Huh. Anywho, it's a done in one. It has time travel in it, which I normally hate, and it features Black Widow. And it's, um, I'm sure if I like read it super, super, super closely, uh, I would have. Uh, I don't know. Appreciated it more, but as it was, I I just kind of like the the lengths to which they went to make it feel like a very full issue, you know. Um, and also, it was kind of fun to see uh, Alex Malieve at one point. There's like a you know daily strip of the Black Widow that I think is part of the you know when she travels back in time 45 years and does this you know one plot thing and it's interesting because at some parts i think ellis had clearly intended it to be a daily strip that looks like modesty blaze quite specifically mm-hmm. and it's fascinating to me to see Malieve draw it and see how close he gets and how far away at the same time i thought it was a, a really intriguing idea for for Ellis to kind of be like spitballing this thing, presumably knowing that he had Alex Malieve on for an issue and be like, okay, well, what do I do with him? Like, he's very good with having lots of scenes of people talking and he has sort of a very photo realistic style that reminds me of Modesty Blaze, you know? So, Mm -hmm. it was, it was fun. It was a fun little disposable issue um, that somebody probably really liked. If nothing else, it, it at least has a certain amount of Ellis trying to put a certain amount of thought into it. It's also kind of tedious in the way that I find later day Ellis, but that's okay. Um, that's I, I, I was reading um, Freak Angels, the first collection of Freak Angels this week. Oh, interesting. From the library. Did you read it? Did you read Freak no, Angels? No, I have not read Freak Angels. Uh, it's it's interesting that you said tedious because I, th- there's something tedious about Freak Angels, but something enjoyable as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the, there's a humanity there that I think Ellis at his best does in a way that other writers do not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the plot uh, is is so slow and so obtuse within the first volume. That you're really just like I am struggling to keep going. Mm-hmm. I am fighting through this book. Um, yeah, no, it's just just when you said tediousness. Sorry, continue, good sir. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. I was going to jump to that and then talk about the the other comics that I picked up. Sort of quick capsules. Um, Mudman no. issue number two. Uh, yes. Did you? I liked actually. Um, I, I I I like I really like Paul Grist, but it turns out I don't like Paul Grist enough to keep up with them regularly. Interesting. There, there's a sameness. There's a sameness to stuff that I just can't do on a regular basis. Oh, fascinating! But, but if I if I if I go into him on a really irregular basis, I really like it. It's a really strange what? thing I can't explain. Like if you if you get a trade of his stuff or something, you mean? Yeah, yeah. If, if I read the occasional trade, then I, I like it. But on a monthly basis, I, I it feels really similar. Hmm. 
interesting. He's somebody that in the past with his Jack Staff stuff, I I've always been a little coolish about his pacing. Like I always love his art and his design chops, but then there's something in the pacing that just sort of goes awry. Uh, and this second issue of Mudman, I really. I can see where I might succumb to that sooner or later, but in a way, it's such a it's such a funny like, you know, um, in in the face of the new fifty two relaunches, you know, to see see a guy who's like I'm doing a superhero and I'm doing it from the very beginning, and we get his origin issue, and this is the issue where he like sort of finds out what he can do, and he's fighting criminals. Um, and of course, because he's sort of, you know, Paul Grist, he's sort of like, yeah, I'm going to have a lot more fun with these criminals than you would necessarily, and than anyone else would necessarily bother with, I think. Sure. Uh, yeah. And, uh, it, it was, it was okay. It was actually, it was, um, again, something that, uh, I, I liked parts of it. I didn't necessarily love it. And I'm, I find myself kind of like, in the same way that I find myself recommending like DC books in terms of like, oh, you should really check it out because the art is just lovely. I think the art and colors on this, Bill Crabtree's colors are like really strong. Um, mm-hmm. uh, well, in portions, they're really strong anyway. I think I think they very much help the... In some cases, they fall... They unfortunately reinforce Paul Griss's... Um, kind of monochromatic t- storytelling I guess you know where everything's kind of the same but in a few places where he really amps the color up uh, it ends up becoming very poppy and fun so I don't know not bad Witch Doctor the Resuscitation which is a one shot um, I want to say it's yeah it's a two ninety nine one shot uh, it, it's also in that weird realm of like there were parts of it that I really liked and yet it was weirdly my least favorite issue of Witch Doctor which is interesting because mm-hmm. I've been loving the book um, they I think it's just a, a problem with the, the pacing a little bit like they do one really brilliant idea badly on the first page and they pretty much ignore it to jump in with the story and I really was like I don't I think they would have been better off like just jumping right into the story because the idea is that it's somebody who like wakes up in a bathtub full of ice with like a little suture mark on their side you know that classic like body harvesting myth and you know he ends up getting um somehow he ends up getting the services of of witch doctor and his team and the thing is is he hasn't had a an organ taken out he's had a different organ swapped in and so they have to figure That's out kind of whose awesome. kid, who's kidney is actually in his body and it's actually really it's a it's a really clever idea and it's executed pretty well i just for some reason i just found myself kind of coolish on it at the same time but which again a little bit like what you were saying with uh fatale like i felt guilty for not liking it more i think this is actually a stronger issue than file number one and i want to encourage everyone to go out and buy witch doctor because i think it's such a good strong series and yet i was kind of like yeah but it didn't quite you know and it just doesn't quite do it for you you're like yeah there was nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with it but 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 it's really weird because there are comics that you want to like so much Mm -hmm. that when you don't Mm -hmm. you're not willing to blame the comic Yeah. yeah 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 totally 
told you're, me. You're just not, you're not willing to accept that maybe the comic disappointed you. Mm-hmm. You're like, it's me. Right, I exactly. must have read it wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I find exactly. that fascinating. <laughs> well, but I think sometimes we do read comics wrong. You know what I mean? Like, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not. I'm not saying that it's. I'm not saying that it's impossible that we read comics wrong. I'm saying that right. it's so funny that you can like something so much, or like the idea of something so much, mm-hmm. that the reality of it, if it's not, if it doesn't live up to your expectations, you blame yourself. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it is odd, but I it is definitely something that I do. I definitely find myself going, ah, this must be me. But looking back on it, I honestly think like ah, I don't know why they went with that first that first page is cuz there's something that's very clever about it. He's actually the the doctor is laying down x-rays on an x-ray board, but he's mm-hmm. essentially doing a he so it's all these different, you know, x-rays of somebody's body and he's sort of divining the future in them he's essentially doing it as a tarot card spread you know where he's laying x-rays on top of each other and it seems like a great idea but it's just subtle enough and it's not quite told right that you're sort of like i was like wait what's going on i don't i don't get it and then later when the story kicks in you keep expecting that stuff to come back in a way and i yeah I don't know. I'm sure somebody will very <laughs> properly write in the comments thread and explain to me what I missed and why that actually does all make sense. But um, I saw a thematic reason, but I was I kept waiting for a plot reason for that scene to pop up. And yeah, I was like, I must be reading this wrong. But part of me is like, or they didn't do it right or both. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like, I feel like they didn't quite do it right. But if I'd been a more attentive reader or a more generous reader, it still would have worked out anyway. You know, so you find yourself blaming yourself. Hey, um, King Cat Comics. Hey, hey, I was gonna say, like, hey, you know, um, speaking of stalking writers and artists and worrying about their emotional states, and that's what I should have said after we read Defenders number two. Uh, King Cat Comics is really interesting. Like, John Porcelino is. Uh, his opening introduction is in mid-October of last year I found myself at the lowest point of my life so far oh god oh god I know I was I know I say that because King Kai Comics in the past has made me just be like oh no it's that man alright the idea that he was in comics saying that oh god I know I know and about the only thing that sort of keeps me like if he had said like if it had been instead of mid-October of last year if it had been something like you know, at the turn of this year, you know, that kind of like, well, what? But yeah, the lowest point of my life so far, my second marriage had ended, and in a desperate bid at a new start, I moved to, of all places, Florida. And I was like, oh my God, like I was so, so I spent actually the majority of reading this King Cat with varying degrees of like clammy handed dread. Like I really, this is the closest I've ever come to actually wanting to look up somebody's, you know, number in the phone book and being like, uh, are you okay? Like, is everything all right? You know, so, um, the rest of the stories are actually perhaps all sort of circulate around that. Like you end up reading a little bit into things. I think he actually does a great job of sort of pacing this the issue so that the various one page or two page or three page stories 
by the end of it, you kind of feel like, okay, he's okay. Like, he's enduring, you know, which I think is really part of what King Cat comics is all about, you know, the beauty of life and sort of the difficult in endurance, I suppose. But, you know, nonetheless, when he's got a panel in one of his stories where it's like, you know, the the main character thinks, I don't want to be alive anymore, you know, and the next page is him saying, but I oh, am. God. Yeah, it's just, oh, you're just God. like, you know. Oh, like, God. <laughs> I'm like, We, we, we laugh P. because it is actually really horrible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's just that thing of like, what can I do? Like, how can I help? Like, you know, like, let's let's get on change.org and do something about this, damn it, you know. And, um, but I don't, but that's just sort of the weird nature of, of the comic in a way. I'm just sort of, you just have to hang out and be sort of terrified. So in a way, this was the most melancholy issue of King Cat comics that I had read in a long time, which is really kind of saying something. But like I said, yeah, that- by the end of it, he goes to, I think you kind of get the idea that he is in a, a if not a better place, he's at least in a good place. And you're kind of like, ah, oh, thank God. But it's fascinating how those little undercurrents and threads give you so much like drama and worry and genuine fretting that you wouldn't otherwise I mean I know this is a thing that we do but you know it was I was like I kept thinking of you and your reaction to uh, Kevin Huizinga's um, Animal Kingdom oh Wild Kingdom yeah yeah Wild Kingdom right where you were like I'm sure he's fine but what if he's or my reaction to Casanova number one remember where I was just like oh "Oh, someone give him a hug (laughs) (laughs) exactly yeah I I, I could I could I could not read this King Cat then I couldn't Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well you you know honestly you might I don't know it would be interesting next time I see you I'll have to pass you the issue or something because you might you might make it through (laughs) I just might might curl up in a ball and cry (laughs) (laughs) that would be great you just come by and poke you with a stick thanks Jeff oh god (laughs) I picked up the end of the fucking world part three by uh, Charles Forsman um, and it is great again it's this weird super mini comic that is, you know, that he sells for a buck, and it's part of this ongoing chapter that is weirdly potentially super disturbing, but is told in such a, like, a, you know, very kind of matter-of-fact kind of way, and drawn with such a strange sort of mini-comic like... It it sneaks up on you. That's also a great issue. I I think I'd seen someone mention that they'd picked pick that book up because of us talking about it so I wanted to mention it again and I finally picked up Drops of God um, the first volume which every other person who's read manga on the internet has already read but finally I just caved and, and got it and it's okay it's it's interesting I love cooking manga you know <laughs> this is this is apparently my ambivalent like, back half yeah, it, it's okay Mm-hmm. It's Everyone right. is like drops of gods, Jesus Christ, and you're like, eh. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe because I'm not all the way through it, but I, yeah, I really kind of have that weird thing of I'm such a sucker for cooking manga and food manga that I'm like, oh, wine manga, I'll be right all over it. But instead, I'm like, eh, it's okay. Like, I, I think because I've read enough of the other food manga that I'm like, it's 
pretty... Uh, they haven't broken out anything original so far. It's just got some very lovely storytelling. So, but, you know, but in that sense of like, I'm like, yeah, it's about, you know, 50% Oishimbo and it's got about 20% Ironwalk, well, 3% Ironwalk Jan in there and like another... Seven percent antique bakery, and I don't know. I'm just I I. It's okay. It's great, but you know, it's kind and it's it's the one thing that I thought was really funny about it is. Oh no! I take it back. It wasn't this book. It was Biomega, which I checked out of the <laughs> library. Even better. The one thing I really think is great about this book. Oh shit! Never mind. No, it's somewhere else. Um, well, and it's not really that great a thing. It's very much the thing about manga is is that when you have a book that in in this particular case is like four hundred and twenty five pages, um, you kind of just automatically adjust your brain, or at least I do. Where it's like if the first twenty pages aren't necessarily that gripping, it's like, huh. It'll have more time to win me over, and this is the thing: Biomega, which is more like the very traditional two hundred page, you know, nine ninety nine volume of of manga or something. Like it was like the first twenty pages was literally some dude on a motorcycle running around shooting zombies in Zombie Town, and I was like, and by the time the first the first chapter ended, I'm like. I have no idea who those characters are or what was going on. The best thing is you had a talking bear with a rifle, you know? And and yet and yet I kinda had this thing of like, but at twenty pages in, you're like, I'll I'll keep reading this. I can't say that this is necessarily bad yet. But if that had been the first issue of Biomega number one and I'd spent like two ninety nine of it on it or even a dollar ninety nine, I'd be like, that was severely disappointing. That was a twenty page comic where nothing happened and I didn't really like the art or, or rather things happened but I had no emotional attachment to anyone or anything you know yeah uh, um, the the line between the first 20 pages of Biomega and OMAC number 5 was like really really thin but um, but because what, I like well, no, again, like OMAC, yes with with Freak Angels like Freak Angels is an astonishingly slow comic mm-hmm. but, but it's the it's the the way in which it's created and the way in which it's meant to be read, I guess, changes your expectations of what you're of of what you'll put up with. Mm-hmm. Like if OMAC is if OMAC is bad, mm-hmm. then or rather if OMAC has a slow twenty pages, it's meant to be read in twenty pages chunks. Yeah. So it has failed in its entirety mm-hmm. in that chunk. Whereas if the first twenty pages of a manga is bad, then that's like the first five pages of a comic. Right, right. Or the thing that's really interesting is is when those twenty pages are bad, when they're not put in a collection, they're in a a, a magazine with like another hundred pages of manga. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. like you may yeah. not like Biomega much, but even then, you're not really going to be like that distraught in a way because you still have like eighty pages of material to read. You know? Well, no, exactly. It's like when I was a kid and I was reading 2080. You might not like Judge Dredd that week, but that's okay. There's four other strips. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's kind of. It is kind of that thing. Oh, um, it was kind of interesting reading your little Red Rockets piece, by the way, with Douglas Wolk. I don't know if you want to, like, I'm never sure what oh, I should be hyping Red Razors. Your work. Mm-hmm. The Red Razors. Yeah, that was really uh, interesting. That that's that's I completely forgot about that. That's a couple of weeks ago now. Um, 
yeah, that, that's an interesting book. And also, we're, I think we agreed in New Year, because I saw him in New Year, I think we agreed that we're going to be doing it again um, for Devil and War, which will be much more fun, because Devil and War is a spectacular Judge Dredd spin-off. Oh, really? Um, Devil and War is essentially... Do you know, did Leslie Thomas ever make it across to America? Uh, I would be the wrong person to actually verify, uh, okay. but it's not ringing a bell. Uh, okay, Devil and War is essentially what if the Vatican's main exorcist in the Judge Dredd universe is an exceptionally buff, incredibly camp gay man who pretends that he is not gay. <laughs> um, that sounds hilarious. I have to say, that sounds yeah, no, really great. No, it is absolutely, it's as good as it sounds. Um, it's really, really great. Because I saw Douglas in New Year, pretty much he just came up to me and he's like, Devil and War! And I was like, I love Devil and War! And he was like, we should write about it! And that was pretty much as far as we got. <laughs> Well, that's fabulous. I well, and we'll see how that goes. But the thing that I actually really enjoyed about your discussion about red razors—not not to not to push all this aside—was just let's get back on the point. No, well, yeah, I guess is kind of in this. This was something that I guess we talked about in the the previous podcast or two back. Is how much it really? I really did have that sense of like, oh wow, this really is kind of like the urtext for Mark Miller. Like he doesn't know how the fuck to do any of the stuff that he's doing and so it's just terrible and yet it really sounded like so much of what he was trying what what we think of him now as being was was all kind of there sort of to be unpacked i think that's really fascinating to me yeah i think that might have been because we were i want to say douglas and i were writing that as we were recording that podcast or maybe we just finished because yeah. it was it was I, in my head the idea of like the, the Mark Miller and the origins thereof. Um, Red Razors is a fascinating comic that I would I would recommend reading. I guess for people who want to see someone do something terribly, like really, really, it's it's hard to explain how badly it is done, mm-hmm. while also recognizing that it's all the seeds of that which will make him a massive success. Right, and that's what I find really fascinating about that, you know, you you talked about that in I think with me directly, but then of course while reading it because you guys are actually able to go into examples a little bit, it was like, wow, it's huh, that's really fascinating to me, you know, that idea of like, wow, here's this really weird um you know, educational text because it's so badly done and so artless, you can actually really see sort of what someone's trying to do by virtue of the fact of it just does stands out by how much it doesn't work. And then, you know, that it gives you so much of an education into that person's later work. It's kind of, it's really kind of interesting, you know? It, um, it's really, really, I mean, I, I kind of, I, if it wasn't a fact that this comic is absolutely atrocious I'd be like you should totally check it out and read it um, right. because it is so artless <laughs> so <laughs> amazingly stunningly artless you have no idea how artless it is well and um, the other thing that I find fascinating is that is within the context of a Judge Dredd story which I don't mean as um, a diss but it's almost like the stuff that we we're talking about with G.I. Joe 
you know like to me it's like if you don't nail the nuance of it like it becomes terrible and yet in theory it's got most of the little bits and pieces that you I, you know are supposed to be in the soup and yet somehow it's not cooked properly and but, but Judge Dredd Judge Dredd more than I think almost any other long running genre strip mm-hmm. has such nuance that when mm-hmm. it's slightly off it's so obvious right right Dread is a really 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 hard strip to get right yeah that's kind of the thing so it, it it doesn't surprise me in a way that that happens you know but it is fascinating to me that you know weirdly enough that makes somehow the the need for nuance like like twice as important you know what I mean? Like, because you're not dealing yeah, exactly. with something that's particularly. It doesn't seem sophisticated on the face of it, and that's per, especially why you have to be so sophisticated behind the scenes in order to make it work. No, exactly. Um, it is. It's a fascinating lesson in failure. Mm-hmm. Red Racers is a fascinating. Also, it's a fascinating lesson in how important nuance is. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So yeah, it's 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 kind of crazy, but no, I'm I'm very much I really enjoyed doing that with Douglas, and I'm really looking forward to doing Devil and Law. And it reminded me also very much how much I like 2008E, which I kind of been I mean we've been talking about that for a while, um, but seeing seeing Douglas the other night reminded me that I I wanted to pick up some of the digital issues of 2008E uh, because they've recently finished a run of my favorite strip, which was uh, brought back after. Oh God! At least seven years, if not more, maybe closer to ten. Really? Uh, with the original writer came back uh, and revived the strip, which is you know kind of unheard of. It's really yeah. rare that the originator of something come back to it that late afterwards. But again, it's not for 2018. <laughs> 2018 is the, the comic, or like Peter Milligan came back to Bad Company a decade right. after, mm-hmm. just leaving it fallow. Um, Pat Mills came back to Nemesis if not a decade then pretty close to it after abandoning it Um, right so yeah so it reminded me that I I want to look into it more and see what to the needy is like now so did you tell me what the title is that the person had come back to did I miss that oh uh, no it's called Indigo Prime ah interesting Indigo Indigo Prime which is a um, how 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 to describe it Indigo Prime is by John Smith, uh, who is, at one point, way back when he first appeared, looked like he was going to be the next Grant Morrison. Hmm. Uh, and never quite made it. He had a Vertigo series called Scarab when Vertigo got started that was just oh, yeah. a disaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he himself will admit it's a disaster. Um, and so he pretty much stuck with 2000 AD as opposed to ever really making it across the, the Atlantic. And as a result, has had lots of very short run but interesting projects in 2080. Um, Bendigo Prime is reality police, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, time traveling, a time traveling. It's not even law enforcement, but a time traveling organization that tries to keep the multiverse running against breakdowns in reality. Hmm. Uh, the new series apparently has to do with the end of the world in 2012 and the fact that I think Prime is tasked with ending the world in 2012 <laughs> uh, that's, that's, that sounds good that sounds quite fun so yes I, I'm, I'm 
looking forward to picking it up and seeing what that's like. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds we, uh, fabulous. You'll have see. to keep uh, keep us in the loop. Keep us in the loop, as it were. Were there any other books you wanted to talk about before we move on to a brief bout of uh, New Year's Eve gossip? Or um... uh, no, I, I think that's actually. I mean, for once, we've actually talked about comics. It took us two and a half hours, but we've talked about comics. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, I hope you like you like the fact that you that Jeff and I actually managed to talk about comics for a change. You know, it's kind of a shame. I really do. I'm like I I'm like uh, I feel like I'm very like there's got to be at least a good waffle anecdote in, up my sleeve. But I've been staying away. From I did like the people were really upset that we didn't talk about waffles <laughs> in our year ends. It was like really that's what you're upset about. <laughs> But I can't blame them. I'm sort of like, there's part of me where I'm like, believe me, if there was breaking news about it, I mean, I did tell you that I can get liege waffles right down the street now. Maybe I didn't tell the listeners. Maybe that was an email thing. So no, I no, can no. like, In the podcast. yeah, yeah. So it's like, I can go get them, come back, toast them. And that's been kind of awesome to the point where I'm actually doing my best like you to sort of pretend that I don't have that ability. You know, like it's kind of like yeah, it could severely screw them, my life. You have them when they're so close. You're kind of like, I'm gonna stop having waffles now. Although I, everyone will be able to know that I did have waffles on Boxing Day. Um, Hooray! And, and I did tell the the woman uh, working at the waffle window that day, Happy Boxing Day, which tickled, I think, tickled her pink. I don't think she'd ever heard of Boxing Day before, <laughs> and I think she might have suspected that I was making it up. <laughs> Oh no, but, really? Uh, That's so funny. She was like, Happy what? <laughs> and she was like, Uh huh? Like, I really was like, Sure, boxing thing, whatever. Yeah. Oh, that is too funny. Um, yeah, oh, good. So you had waffles on boxing day. Was that the day that I told you to go get waffles? No, I, I think there was some like email or something, and I was like, "Go yeah, no, do no, I, it." Yeah, no, 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 that wasn't that was not that day. Damn, because you did you did a, you did it a day. For example, I was on email, and I wasn't on email on Boxing Day. That's right. Because I was it was the weekend, and we stay away. Although I did love your, I saw you tweeting on during the weekend to spring come six earlier <laughs> this year joke. <laughs> yes, spring comes six earlier because I sent the tweet on Saturday. <laughs> Hooray! We've that's the way it the works. Winter. Yeah, that is the way it works. Well, that's great. We just have to do our best, like, to just inundate you with, like, you know, midwinter weekend tweets. Like, Graham, I'm on fire. Call the police. Kind of thing. <laughs> Your email's been hacked. I won't be checking, won't be checking email. I know. That's the I'm thing what? that so sucks. I know. I know. Just the fact that oh, I didn't hear bad. back from you. What's that? While you and I have been, while you and I have been recording this, I've had five emails telling me that my email has been hacked. Oh, that is great. Well, yeah, I kind of want know. to all of them be like, I know, I know everyone. <laughs> well, but we don't necessarily know. It's not like we all CC each other, you know. It's not like what, what's also what's, that I, I actually said on Twitter that my email had been hacked before I got any emails. <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay. Well, see, there you go. And then people are like, hey, your email's been hacked. And I'm like, I know. I know. <laughs> I know Don't you my... follow me on Twitter? Unfollow, unfollow, exactly. unfollow. Come on, people. Unfollow. <laughs> that's that's what I'm going to do. If you don't need to keep up with me, my... <laughs> I'm going to follow the life out you. <laughs> Mass unfollow. Mass unfollow. And on that bombshell, uh, 
we should jump and uh, and move on hey, to the gossip. Hey, listeners, thanks and happy new year. Even though you're already in 2012 for a while, but this is our first 2012 recording. Oh God! Oh Jesus God! It's the time travel program. It's time so travel. bad. <laughs> you are going to be the most terrifying time lord ever. Oh. All right. Yes. Yes. We'll see you next week, everybody. Toodaloo. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to leave in us laughing. Like the pause and then us laughing was spectacular. <laughs>